Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb and as always I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, have you cooled off from your trip out to the desert this weekend? I have. It was hot. I hate to be a complainer, but it was very hot. It was still a lot of fun. Had a great time. 2-0. Another victory for Oklahoma State scoring what? 27 for the second yeah. week in a row. Lighten right? up the scoreboard. Absolutely. <laughs> How was how was your game experience? Um, probably worse. I mean, I sat in my living room, uh, and paced around for three quarters, and you know, it <laughs> hurled out some words I'm not that proud of. But overall, it's just another you know Saturday. Uh, so no complaints. Other than, I mean, the nine thirty kickoff local time is pretty brutal. But you're gonna have to get used to it, knowing that this conference is expanding west. It was. It was not great. I went to bed at 2 a.m. So, oh, yeah, I can't even imagine because obviously I was there on local time and it still felt really late. So I couldn't even imagine that. And Kate, I think the the first kind of takeaway I had just talking about game watching experience, obviously in the game is a little bit hard, but on rewatch, much more interesting than the UCA game scheme wise and things that we like to talk about wise. So we definitely have some things this time we won't start the defense preview by saying we could throw away all of our notes because there actually were some notable things from this game that we like to see. Yeah, no no question. I mean, from the very start of the game, they were doing a lot of different things. Before we get into the game, though, Dustin, I do want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the podcast, Charlie Hustle. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. And Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. They've got over 30 schools to choose from, and they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. Shop today at www.charliehustle.com. And when you do that, use our promo code 101215, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. And they've got a lot of good stuff. And I heard rumors of some good stuff coming. So you're going to want to check them out. But Dustin, back into the game, obviously, at least for me, being able to watch on TV, I kind of uh bemoaned watching the game in the stadium against UCA watching the second one on TV was a much more uh enjoyable experience to the part of my brain that has to do this podcast because I can see it so much better to what you were saying yeah exactly I I don't remember a lot of stuff watching the game live I, obviously <laughs> you know cons- consuming a little bit of alcohol as well messes that up but just, just from- call it out which we fully transparent. Talking, you know, at the game with my wife and some friends sitting with them. So, you know, it's it's hard to kind of be locked in. So I completely understand what you're saying. But this game ends, we didn't I didn't say Arizona State score yet. It's 27-15. Oklahoma State's trailing 15 to 10 at halftime. 
Hey, before we kind of dive into the offense and defense, I wanted to ask you, watching on TV, how did you feel at halftime about this game? Did you think Oklahoma State was in big-time danger of losing, being down five? Not not big-time danger. I thought that they would come out and make adjustments defensively. I really think you could trace that whole first half really down to one bad defensive play. That Other than that, the tackling issues I thought were correctable. I thought for the most part, guys were in the right position defensively. And offensively, it was clean up the penalties, clean up the the drive-killing holdings, the, the false starts. This offense is not built to withstand those things this early on with everything they're going through. And so to answer your question, no, I did not feel like, oh, she was in deep danger. I did think that if they continued down the road, they were on of jacking around a little bit and getting called for holding or delay of game on every drive, then yeah, they were going to be in trouble, but I trusted that they would get that ironed out in the second half. And they did. Yeah, I agree in the stadium. I was not in the Oklahoma State visitor section. We were behind the visitor side, but not in the visitor section. And we weren't super close to the student section. And in kind of like the middle areas of the stadium, it wasn't super crowded. Their fans didn't show up great in all areas of the stadium. So it was a little empty. The student section was loud. They showed up. But to me, just without that big-time energy from their fans the entire time, I guess it was a little more calming at halftime and it's also only a five point deficit, but I wasn't that nervous. But again, like I said, I I wasn't able to kind of tell everything that was going on in the stadium. Yeah. I mean, you, we were talking about the Boise state game off air. You were at that game. Did you feel much worse about that game when you were at it? Yeah, I bet. Yes. There's well, uh, along with the game being disgusting, a bunch of injuries before that game, playing a bunch of young wide receivers, not knowing really, what the offense was going to do until Jalen Warren kind of busted out. We had horrible seats at that game. We were right up against the edge. I know I complained about that on that podcast, having to walk by like 30 people every time we wanted to go out to use the restroom or go to the concession stand. And that stadium sucks. So all of that combined, yes, I felt worse during that game. Yeah, yeah. No, I I felt like they were really shooting themselves in the foot most of the time. And additionally – you know, yeah, I think you have to give a little bit of credit to Arizona State for coming out. And, you know, I thought their first half game plan was pretty solid. And I think it caught Oklahoma State maybe a little bit by surprise with the amount of, you know, wildcat formations with Scadaboo, who was really a tough runner and I think was probably excited to play a massive game in a massive situation for him. Again, though, Dustin, I, I, I was never too concerned. Um I just thought that they could jack around and, and lose that game, but they ultimately won by double digits. And I think you take that every time. Yeah, I agree. Now they're two and oh going into South Alabama next week at home or this week at home, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Kate, you said one thing that kind of might segue us perfectly into the offensive game review, the scheme part of it, catching Oklahoma State off guard. Casey Dunn talked about it after the game. We talked about it on the preview pod. Arizona State and their defensive coordinator, Brian Ward, who came from Washington State, they like to play aggressive in coverage, play a lot of man, mix in some zone, but they came out pretty zone heavy early. And I think Oklahoma State's response to that was throw the ball around in the quick passing game. And we we saw that with Alan Bowman getting his start, throwing 16 passes, 113 yards, 
it was a little, I, I, like Casey Dunn said, I think it caught him off guard and he seemed to kind of get into a groove and the offense kind of got into a gro- in a groove, especially after the second half adjustments. But it was a little, I think, shocking for them to see that right out the gate. Well, I'll say I think it, I was shocked to see the way Oklahoma State came out. So for for you to say that they were surprised, I was surprised at what I was watching, which was it, kind of a full-blown spread. Like, that's what I felt like I was watching was Alan Bowman's old days at Texas Tech. That first drive, Dustin, they intentionally moved the pocket twice for Alan Bowman, who was rolling out multiple times. To- that was just kind of shocking. Um, they finally settled in and, you know, not to jump straight into the quarterback discussion and we won't, we'll do that here in a little bit, I'm sure. But right as the offense starts catching a groove with Alan Bowman, they finally get down the field without a penalty. He comes out of the game and then you throw in Gunnar Gundy. And so I, for me, the whole storyline for the offense is tough to get a flow for many reasons. And you could point to quarterback. I would point to penalties as a bigger issue in this game yeah so just hitting on the scheme a little bit more 23 guys played in this game that's exactly how many played at uca one note i wanted to hit right at the beginning Cade. Oklahoma State had great field position for a majority of this game and they ran 62 percent of their plays from the opponent's side of the field we'll talk about special teams We'll, we'll touch on a little sprinkle of special teams at the end, but thanks a lot to special teams for stuff like that. One note on the guys who played, there were four offensive linemen again for the second week in a row that played every snap, except Joe Mahalski came out for one play. Austin Kowecki came in, which PFF didn't even catch. I had to correct them during my <laughs> PFF snap count audit that I do every week. No, I'm just kidding. But that they, they did miss that one. I'm going to count it that he played, that Mahalski played the whole game just coming out for that one play. Same thing that happened last game with the four, but last game, the the switching was at right tackle due to Springfield going down after 20 snaps due to injury. He was out again with injury in this game. We're, we're assuming, we're hearing he'll be back this week for South Alabama. This game, though, the one offensive lineman that rotated was right guard. We know Preston Wilson had the suspension last week. Materko starts the game. Preston Wilson comes in, I think it was after like... 12-ish snaps. Wilson comes in and Matirko actually came back in a couple of times throughout the game. So that was a little bit interesting to see. Kate, this is the second game. I know we have the Springfield injury, but you're really only seeing five guys play because Wilson play ended up playing. I think it was about four. 43 snaps, 66% of the total snaps. So almost right. 70%. Just, I know we have the injury to Springfield, but I wanted to get your take on, I thought there was going to maybe be a little bit more rotation, a little it's, bit more mixing around, even guys at different spots. And through two games, we have not yet seen that. It is the only unit on the entire roster that is not rotating with any real <laughs> seriousness. I mean, every other unit, including quarterback is rotating like crazy. I mean, there was a full drive where Kendall Daniels was not on the field for the entire one. Arizona state scored on a busted coverage that we were texting about, but I thought he was hurt because if he's off the field, you would expect a guy like that to be hurt. And that's not the case. So, you know, Dustin, I will say though, this offensive line 
in its current state has not played together very much. <laughs> like they, they have yeah. been shuffling around due to injuries for years. And so I think if there is a unit on this team that needs to be playing this way, it's the offensive line. I agree. I think that's a great point. And I think when Springfield is healthy it, and going into next game and into the Iowa state game, I think it's going to be interesting when we get to offensive line, we'll talk about it a little bit more if there's any shuffling of positions or kind of what we see there, but just wanted you, to hit that note about how many snap count total snap count we saw from the offensive line and from the offense in general, still rotating guys around at the receiver spot. We saw some Jake Schultz in this game at fullback. Didn't see him very much in the first game. Saw Quentin Stewart about a, a little bit more than the UCA game, but not as much. And then Bray, Leon Johnson, Stribling, Shetron, Blaine Green Owens, all kind of rotating at the wide receiver spots. And then obviously the quarterback and running back rotation stayed the same as last game. So I'll ask you this. I, I didn't tell you I was going to on the offensive line. You've got a guy in Cole Birmingham at left tackle who is coming off of a, you know, season ending injury last year. He's playing in his second game this year. If you had to grade on the offensive line, I would say the left side generally has been the weaker point of the offensive line, you look at a guy like Jake Springfield coming back potentially and a log jam at starting right tackle. So when you talk about shuffling guys around Dustin, if it were to happen and you can speculate or you can just choose to not answer, where would you imagine that taking place? If you're going to, if you're going to say there's for sure a shuffling, where I would choose, I don't think they're going to do that. I think Springfield comes back and, they kind of work him back in like the Wilson getting worked back in from suspension. So it's a, a mixture of yeah. Cooper and uh, Springfield at that right tackle spot. But if, if I were to suggest a mixture, I think Cole Birmingham has been struggling with some speed on the left tackle side, but he's still a really good run blocker. We saw him have some solid run blocks in this game. Yeah. I don't want to take him out of the first string offensive line unit. But if you were to move him to guard and have Brooks and Birmingham as your guards, I actually think Mahalski has played pretty well at center or much improved from last season, what we saw in some games. You have Dalton Cooper at left tackle, Jake Springfield at right tackle, and you move Wilson and Materko into kind of your swing guard. And Wilson, even as a swing tackle, we know he can play there and kind of see what happens there. Another thing you could do is if Springfield is still out, so say Springfield's not back, you could keep Cooper at right tackle and maybe swap Wilson and Birmingham and give Wilson some run at left tackle where we know he's played before. But I think you have to do something at the left tackle spot. I think so too. And and I honestly think if Springfield's back fully healthy, you give him another shot at right tackle because Cooper has also struggled in pass pro. The, the left and right side. Now, Cooper has made some good blocks in the run game. I know he had the holding penalty. And like I said, Birmingham as well. But I think you give Springfield another shot, even though kind of contradicting my takes from last season where and in the offseason where I was saying I didn't think Springfield should be a starter at tackle. I, I don't know if you can just completely erase him now after what you've seen. Well, and I think it's about what you've seen. And that's why I asked you is because I, I think through two games, the left tackle spot has been uh a sore spot and it shows up in multiple ways. And Dustin, you mentioned it. 
I, if I were to, I would actually say that the pass protection up front has been more disappointing and especially was more disappointing against Arizona state than the run blocking has been all season. I, I think that they are struggling up there generally. If pressure's coming, they're they're probably going to struggle. Yeah, and there were some times when Oklahoma State got in some Arizona State got in some pressure packages and Oklahoma State's releasing the running back. Right. And they're going, you know, six on five. And right. you you're can't down do that. Man there. Yeah. So, <laughs> that, that was tough at times for for our guy Gunnar Gundy. And even Garrett Rangel saw a little bit of that totally as well. But some ways to kind of, you know confuse the defense and get them out of some of those looks is some of the motion. And we saw a lot of that in this game compared to the UCA game. 41% of the offensive plays, according to my tracking, contained some form of pre-stat motion, whether that was wide receiver and the slot in Brennan Presley, outside receiver, fullbacks, shifting, tight ends, shifting, tight ends going in motion, which we saw a lot in the second half. There was only 16% in the UCA game. And after no plays outside of the victory formation kneel downs in the UCA game going from under center, we had 15% of the plays. And actually, I think we had three in a row at the end of the game when Rangel was in there trying to kind of run out the clock. So that was pretty interesting. And Cade, my one note there for you is a lot of that motion was with Brennan Presley. When he didn't get a lot of targets in this game, I think Oklahoma State not really trying to use him as a decoy, but try to get Arizona State to tip their hand by putting their most dynamic guy in motion and see how the Arizona State defense reacts to that. I know I know. when we get to the receivers, I think we're both going to have a take that you got to get Brennan Presley more targets than yeah. I think it was four. But I do like the idea coming into the game with moving Presley around to try to get the defense to show you what look they're in. Well, I, I think it's a, a great uh, point from you because it's something that can go easily missed. If, if you're not paying attention is how they're using that motion. They did it well with the tight ends as well. I mean, you highlighted it in the Twitter thread, Josiah Johnson coming around the end on a run play and pancaking a guy who we should give his flowers because we really kind of went hard on him last week, relatively speaking for us. We don't really throw anybody under the bus, but a, a much better game from him. But it stems off of that motion. So, you know, it's it's tight ends, it's wide receivers. I was encouraged to see that because they still were running pretty similar stuff out of that. But it was just a little bit, a little bit more eye candy. And it's what you and I talked about all offseason. They're going to keep it simple, but it may look different coming out of a formation. Yeah, and Kate, earlier talking about that zone defense Arizona State was running, they were kind of trying to keep everything in front of them for a lot of the game, and Oklahoma State only threw three passes 20-plus yards downfield. That's they unlike any play. OSU team I've, I can remember. Yeah, it's actually, they only threw three 20-plus yards downfield against UCA. They just completed two of them. In this game, they didn't complete any of them. So it was very, very interesting to see that for two games in a row. Do you know what's funny about that? For years, we talked about, maybe me, maybe you, but as a general fan base, it was Oklahoma State can't utilize the middle of the field. And through two games, I have heard nothing else other than throw it deep. It's like, you, you, can't, you can't win. 
or not hitting, you know, not hitting the check down is something you hear right. from the fan base, even, you know, us talking to each other yeah. at times in previous years and a lot of throws to the check downs, which something when Alan Bowman saw blitz, he got the ball out He's- quick to the check. Down. He actually too quick at times. I was actually thinking about that. He reminded me of an NFL quarterback in that regard, like not the t- getting it out too quick, but there were multiple busted screenplays that Arizona state snuffed out. And I mean, it took him a split second to just dirt that ball. And you don't see that a ton in college. You see it in the NFL when they can quickly recognize this play is dead. I do appreciate that from Alan Bowman, his quick play recognition in that regard. It seems like the ball comes out quickest with him. Oh, yeah, 100%. And and I think what I like about that as well is how hard he throws it into the ground, like showing a little anger. I love that. I love a little (laughs) passion in my dirted balls. Yes. But 27% 11P in this game, exact same amount of 11 personnel as the UCA game. The only flip-flop here is you had 17% 10 personnel in UCA and only 8% in Arizona State. So the second highest personnel grouping was actually 20P, so more usage of the fullback in this game with Braden Cassidy, Jake Schultz, which makes sense because Schultz, I don't even think, got a snap, or if he did, not very many, in the UCA game, and he gets 13 in this game, Braden Cassidy with 15, and they're not playing at the same time so you see that 20p come up a little bit more then some 11 personnel like i said 10 personnel and then a little bit of 12 personnel with quentin stewart and josiah johnson on the field at the same time i think it was like two plays but hadn't seen that yet so a couple of things we hadn't seen in this game and i know i know when you're looking at it it still looked pretty vanilla Still didn't see a lot of the gap run scheme. Saw a little bit of under center, a little bit more motion, quite a bit more motion to be fair. Still felt pretty vanilla, but they're kind of sprinkling in more of this stuff that we've heard about, and that was pretty interesting. I will say that second half, Oklahoma State's run blocking was the best on, like to the eye, that it's been in over a full season. And I include last season. And it was so good, Dustin, that at times I thought people were pulling. At, and I, because you're watching it in real speed, and it's like, oh, wait, what, what happened there? And it's like, no, people are actually getting up to the second level, which you've just not seen. And so I think for all the, you know, crap we've given the offensive line, we need to give them a little credit for being able to execute what has been the base offense for so long in that zone running scheme. They're executing it better. Generally speaking, not always winning these, but executing it better than they have in, you know, probably since Jalen Warren was toting the rock in Stillwater. So that second half was really encouraging for me because it's not new stuff. It's just better than it once was. Yeah. And when you look at the box score, Kate, it's going to look like a pretty even split of run pass, 32 pass attempts, 31 rushing attempts. But what, when I look at that, I like to take out you know, the scramble, the sacks, the two kneel downs, it gets a little bit closer to, you know, if you look at the running backs, 24 rushes to 32 pass attempts. So still a heavier lean on the pass. So when you see it with your eye in the live action, I know kind of that was you and I's thoughts, more pass again. And then you see the box run, you're like, oh, 32, 31. But if you take out some of those 
not true run plays or kneel downs or sacks. It still was heavy pass. So I did want to bring that up. The one change before I flip it back to you, as far as run pass, they threw it a lot on first down against UCA 58% pass. It, that kind of shifted down a little bit. Now it was 50% run on first down in the ASU game. So that was kind of the big change, not so much of a pass run split change, but as far as that regard on first down, I wanted to call that out. I wonder what that means going forward, because you have to wonder, I mean, if, if Mike Gundy is, you know, making a change, embracing these new clock rules, moving to a gap scheme and trying to grind out these wins Running on first down with success is going to be something that he, I would imagine, is mandating. Yeah. And so to see that number start to trend down is an interesting one to keep an eye on going forward, because I would think that, you know, that first down run number, you would want to see that up over 50% because they're running it with success, setting themselves up well for second, third and short. So definitely something to keep an eye on. 100% agree. And and speaking of third, they were 50% on third down in this game. So pretty, pretty good there on third down 40% in the UCA game. So we'll kind of see how that trend goes moving forward. They were eight to 16. Kate, that's uh, besides mixing up the snap count and so, some of those things there, that's all I really had on general scheme. I wanted to get your take on the run game though. And I actually made a slight tweak to my numbers from the Twitter thread Because they went under center and ran true ISO with the fullback blocking and either hitting a linebacker or hitting the edge guy, I I counted those as as zone in my initial tables because I got lazy. It's not really zone and it's not really gap. It's more of man blocking and you're trying to isolate a linebacker, which is why it's called ISO with the fullback. If they do that from under center, I'm going to break it out separately and call it ISO or, or call it whatever type of under center run it is. If it ends up being some kind of a counter run, which they did do a counter run from under center, I'll change that. But I did just want to call that out. So I had 19 zone runs, three counter runs, two ISO runs, two QB sneaks, and that's excluding the three snack, snack, sacks and two kneel downs. So less counter because I think there was five counter runs last game, but they added in the two ISO. So it was almost like exactly the same split as the UCA game. After hearing the gap scheme and everything in the off season, I just wanted to get your take on that. And I know it's non-conference. I know it's two teams that you should beat Arizona state. After watching that game, rewatching it multiple times, they were not very good. Not good. Jalen Rashada is good, but they were not very good. Not a good football I team. think they would have trouble with UCA. So what is your take on how this run game scheme-wise has looked after two games? I would say through two games that the fact that they are, at least to me, starting to find their groove with this zone game means that they're going to do it another week in a row if they don't, if they can. Like, I think at some point they're going to break this out in a big way, whether it's in Ames or Friday night against uh, Kansas State and Stillwater. I think it's going to catch a team by surprise, but I think until that time has to happen, it's not going to happen. And it may not even be in Ames. It may all be for Kansas State to try to win that game with some brand new stuff. So um, 
it's not shocking. And I go back to my point just a little while ago. It is encouraging that they were able to find some explosives, as you and I have talked about, with the stuff that has previously not produced explosives. And additionally, they had more eight to 10 yard runs. And I didn't chart this, but just to my eye, it felt like they hadn't done that in years either. And they had a bunch in this game, especially in the second half. And so I, I'm personally encouraged because I think that you can get through you, uh, South Alabama personally without having to uh, show your hand that I think you're still trying to hold back. Yeah, Kate, of those 24 running back runs, you had seven of them go for seven plus yards and two of them go for 30 plus. So yeah. what, you're right, two, two extremely explosive runs in the same game. I can't remember off the top of my head where they had two runs of 30 plus. I had to, it might even be going back to two years ago. To That's what I'm Warren saying. Season. I don't think that it happened last year in any game. And so I am encouraged you by that. Probably wrong, but yeah, but it's still, it doesn't feel like it. I test. And, and it's not great. Like we, we don't have to sit here and be like the offensive lines in great shape because of this, but I think you have to acknowledge the, incremental successes when they arise because otherwise, I mean, this is a pretty miserable discussion. So I, I, I like what I'm seeing so far. No, you're right. I mean, when you look at those 24 carries, 126 yards, so this just running back carries, that's 5.3 yards a carry. That's two games in a row. These backs have rushed for 5.3 yards a carry. And it's been, like we said, primarily zone scheme. You saw again in this game, GH counter, which is the backside guard, and the tight end in the H-back spot coming around and pulling lead blocking, which if Josiah Johnson kicks out like he's supposed to, the edge player, and doesn't run into the back of the pulling guard, that play goes for at least seven yards. I would also... And, and that was kind of our point last week. It's just one screw-up. Most of the offensive line's doing something right, and one missed assignment, one missed block, one guy getting his hands out over his feet, which we saw Jason Brooks do multiple times, leads to a tackle for no gain or tackle for loss. There was a play that you clipped on the Twitter thread speaking about an inside zone play that Oklahoma State had ran, and it was blocked well, but they couldn't get up to the second level, so I guess you could say it was blocked poorly, but that they had the cutback lane. If Jaden Nixon looks, the cutback yes. lane is wide open. And so there's the other thing we've talked about, which is the vision of the running backs, which could lead to more chunk plays that aren't necessarily perfect. But Dustin, when was the last time you saw an Oklahoma State running back take the cutback lane outside of the Ollie Gordon run that was called back? You can't pick that one. They don't do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only the only back that's really been showing, I think, consistent, decent vision is Ollie. I think so he's too. he's done it a couple of times. Now, Elijah Collins sometimes hits the hole hard enough to where it doesn't matter. But but yes, uh, it, it's more of a it's more of a Jalen Warren, Justice Hill type thing when you see that that vision, that good vision. And Ollie's the only one I think that's really even shown some flashes of it. To your point, he set up the counter run, which was right after the run he got called back in the first game. And then he had one run, I believe, in this game where you saw him kind of set up a block. So to your point, I mean, great call out on the vision. And 
and obviously, you know, not not just the vision, but I think Ollie's been running the counter plays the best as well because he's also the most patient. And it almost looks like when you see it for the first time on TV, to your point about not like some of the plays hitting so some of the run plays hitting so fast, you weren't sure exactly what it was, which was it's a great yeah. sign. On this is another great sign, but it looks bad because it looks like Ollie's just sitting there not doing anything and then kind of takes off and he doesn't have the great start stop to where he could bust one of those for a big gain. But if Jaden Nixon going back to him was a little more patient at times on, and he hasn't got a ton of chance on counter. I'm just saying if he's patient on those, he does have the speed to when the hole opens up to bust it to the safeties. Basically. He's just missing a little wiggle though. That's it. <laughs> he he did have the move, the little hezzy move on the big run. So I got to give him a shout out for that. It wasn't really a cut. It no. was kind of a hesitation. But again, it's his start stop is so fast that that's all he has to do. I uh, Robert Wetzel uh, told me uh, he just quoted Wiggle right after that run. And I said Wiggle would have housed it because he had one guy to beat. And he ran straight past him and got pushed out of bounds. He had one guy to be a little bit of wiggle might have scored that. But a gr- I would say, Dustin, a great game from the three-headed, you know, monster, quote-unquote, at running back. And speaking to Ollie Gordon, since we're just talking about the running backs for now, I was pretty adamant that they needed to hand him the ball more. And part part of it was it was 11.45. And, uh, you know, now at that time of night, I'm probably drinking bourbon. And I don't normally do that during a football game. But I was clamoring, hand the ball to Ollie Gordon. And I thought about it the following morning. I think the reason that they're doing this is very similar to the quarterbacks. But I think, Dustin, that later down the line, they're going to use Ollie Gordon as their closer. They're trying yeah. to keep him fresh the way they Dundee could not. said that. Yeah. In, but, in the press conference. Oh, this he week. said, okay, so there you go. Yeah, so he, I he was talked correct. about exact. No, no, c- continue with your point, but y- it's perfect because Gundy mentioned that when asked about it. Well, I, I didn't listen to the press conference this week. That's it's not a norm for me, but here's what I observed Jalen Warren in 2021 could not stay healthy because he was their only really good shot at running back of winning a Big 12 title. Ollie Gordon, I think, is also that for Oklahoma State, but I think you can get through these games not having to, you know, burn the tread on his tires. And so as much as I think handing them the ball would have created a 38 to 15 win, I really do think that I personally back off my initial statement of handing the ball more because you need him to get to Bedlam and to Central Florida and and BYU in those games fresh and so i i do appreciate what they're doing with him because i think he holds the keys at running back yeah i I completely agree and it's a great point that both you and coach gundy you both are the same football knowledge football guys both smart guys that made that point the one interesting note Cade, though about that so the the carries were almost evenly split again Nine carries for Gordon for 53 yards, eight for Collins for 30, seven for Nixon for 43. Like I said, 5.3 yards per carry total with Nixon going 6.1, but uh, uh, almost all of his yards came on that one long run. The other six, he he didn't really get much and had a couple negatives. But Ollie did lead in snaps. He played 43% of the snaps, 28 total snaps. Nixon played 19 and Elijah Collins played 18. So he played 10 more snaps 
than the other guys. It's just like, to your point, maybe kind of hesitating to feed these guys the ball so much early in the season against these these teams that you expect to beat. But on the other hand, it is kind of risky because these games, both of these games were a little bit close for a little bit too long. So it is interesting to kind of think about this whole idea and we'll see if it ends up paying off. I did want to mention, Cade, only two designed QB runs in this game and both of them were sneaks. I heard Robert Allen mention that the one of the Gunner Gundy sacks was QB draw. I haven't seen this Oklahoma State team run much true QB draw without that RPO it's on it. RPO now, draw. sometimes they'll say like, this. hey, they're going to give us the look. So run. It, we're going to run the QB draw RPO because that's what it is in the playbook, but keep it. You know, they will do that. But this one, there was a blitz from Arizona yep. State, so this could be why. But the lineman in the back didn't release up to the second level that, that like they normally do. And the read on the RPO was wide open on the out route to Jake Schultz. And you say, well, why would he throw it to Jake Schultz? He had Gunner had just thrown it to Jake Schultz like two plays before. So I'm not, I didn't count that one because even if it was draw, he, it probably was the QB draw RPO because I haven't seen, like I said, haven't seen them run a true draw and he made the wrong read. So he's taking that sack in my book and I'm not marking that as a design QB run. I'm giving that to the sack count instead of to the rushing game because I think it was a bad, it was either bad read or bad execution all around, and there was a blitz. So I did just want to mention that. And then what you mentioned earlier, Cade, and I wanted to throw it to, back to you after this because I, wa- I wanted to see what your take was because, you know, the fan base, and probably rightly so, has some negative thoughts on Casey Dunn, how he runs this offense, how he adjusts during games. But the adjustment going from, so what was happening? is on the mid and outside zone runs. Just kind of think of those both as perimeter zone runs with a possible cutback lane kind of through the middle. The linemen are trying to get a push, get up to the second level. We've talked about zone a lot on here. They weren't able to get to the backside linebacker. The backside guard was trying to get up to the backside linebacker, not making a play, and the backside linebacker was running down the running back before he could make his cut, before a hole opened up on the perimeter. What they did is they added in that tight end motion that I was talking about where the tight end is split wide, comes back across, and makes a cut to open up a cutback lane, which you talked about just a little bit ago, for the running back, which was hit. Ollie Gordon hit it one time. Josiah Johnson had a pancake block, which you mentioned earlier. And then also they switched from that kind of outside mid zone, more perimeter stretch play runs, to inside zone, which allowed the linemen to kind of get up easier to the second level without having to chase a linebacker that's running to the outside. We saw Joel Mahulski get up there. We saw Jason Brooks get up there. Cole Birmingham got up there and made blocks at the second level. And they didn't make that change. Gundy said they probably should have made it earlier, but they didn't make that change until the second half. And it was noticeable absolutely, at how much the kind of attack and aiming point of the running back and the hit points for the offensive line and for the Cowboy back and the tight ends to lay their blocks down at the second level changed from the first to second half. I thought that was a really, really nice adjustment. And, and to Gundy's point, it probably should have been made earlier, 
But I think with all the negative stuff we say about Casey Dunn and Mike Gunny in terms of offense, I think you got to give them their props when they do something like that. Well, and and when they do something like that that doesn't tip your hand, again, it stays within the the confines of the game plan that you've established. Your goals for the season are to not tip your hand, apparently. I, I think that that's a great adjustment and does deserve some credit because, Dustin, as I already said, it looked like they were doing something completely different. And it was really going from outside mid to inside zone, still a zone run, but it it looked night and day better. So you have to give them credit for that. Yeah. So, Kate, before we move on from the running backs and maybe we could touch on the offensive line one more time and then talk a little passing game for receivers, quarterbacks. Ollie Gordon, we mentioned his his carries, his yards. He also had two catches, two targets, nine yards. He had a really nice catch on a Garrett Rangel throw when he took that little swing arrow route out to the flat. Rangel threw it a little behind him. He snagged with one hand. He had one run, 10-plus yards, no negative runs, again, for the second game in a row. So he's the only back this year that has no negative runs. The fourth and one play in the red zone, Cassidy kind of whiffed on a block on the edge. I I think, you know, there's... We talked about it earlier. There were some plays, especially with Ollie, where just one block, and he probably had the right idea, but he gets grabbed from behind and then slowed down. So it was tough. I also thought he had multiple solid blocks in pass protection. I talked about very patient. He looked good on inside zone, which I still think you know he would look really good on these counter runs, these gap scheme runs, if we started to run more of them. But he looked good on on inside zone. I thought he was solid overall after two games to your point earlier, Cade, I think he's probably running back one and they're just doing what you said and kind of trying to take it easy. And it's like, you have to toe this line and I don't envy Mike Gundy for being in the position he's in. But for me, it's like, I'm sitting there and it's like, you could win this game by 20 if you just handed the ball to Ollie, but you're trying to keep him fresh you're trying to honor the other backs. It's a tough spot. And I think it's less about honoring the other running backs and more about just keeping your bell cow, who's very clearly RB1, I mean, very clearly fresh for the remainder of the season, as long as you can. He's the only back, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kate. I could be going a little exaggerating here, but he's the only one of the three so far that has multiple times turned negative plays into positive plays. Yeah, definitely. We talked about the hurdle one last week. Again, no negative runs, and we know the blocking has not been great on every play, especially in the first half, and no negative runs through two games. I just, I continue to, like, wish for him to get to the second level because when he does, he's bigger than the safety. He's he's bigger than some of the linebackers. And so when he's there... I mean, I got a text from a buddy of mine who's a Nebraska fan, bless his heart. But he's, you know, he's talking about who's zero, like hand the ball to him. I'm like, I know because he's a monster. I mean, once he gets there, he's he's a a freak. And I think it's actually his best quality is his size and and how big he runs. Oh, yes, definitely. And I think he's showing things to these first two games that make you feel really good about his career. At Oklahoma State, because he's continuing to improve. It's so interesting you say that, because there are moments for Oklahoma State running backs, like Justice Hill, there was that Baylor game. You remember that? I think it was his freshman year. That was his coming out party. Jalen Warren was the Boise State game. Like 
I don't think that this was Ollie Gordon's coming out party necessarily, but it was the first time I watched him and was like, oh, he's the best running back on this team. No question. Yeah. And, and speaking of good running backs, Elijah Collins continues to show. We talked about it last week, kind of went on a little, both of us, like a back and forth rant about him being a really good number two running back. If someone and Ollie Gordon was to kind of take over, have his breakout game, then Elijah Collins may be one of the best number two running backs in the Big 12. I mean, I I would say as a safety coming down and tackling Ollie Gordon for, you know, 20 snaps and then having to do that to Elijah Collins for another 10 sounds awful. So, yes, I I agree with you. It's almost like a thunder thunder lightning approach with those two because it's just they're two bruisers. And I think Elijah, he's slower in the hole. But once he's in the open field, I mean, he's you need two guys to get him down. Yeah, he runs violently, which is something that Dom Richardson did. So having a back that can do that run violently like that, Dom didn't always have the best vision, but he always ran hard and threw people and was tough to bring down. I love that Elijah Collins has that. I'm not saying that Ollie doesn't, but that's kind of what Collins makes his you know, kind of money on right there with yeah. it, with his powerful running at the second level. And he's just got a touch more elusiveness than a guy like Don Richardson who had zero. But yes, he, like Elijah Collins feels a little slipperier. Like it seems like he could break one of those off if he makes a if a guy misses a tackle. And with Don Richardson, it felt like he was committed to lowering his head at the, you know, seven yard run mark. And just that's the run. I don't feel that way with Elijah Collins. Like he could score one of those. I think, yeah, to your point, I think Dom was probably more of a strong runner. Yep. And Elijah Collins, I think, is more of that. He's not Jalen Warren, but it's that lower body balance. Yes. He keeps his legs moving. He probably can squat a lot, I'm assuming. So I I love that from him. He also had two targets in the passing game. The The funny thing is in the passing game as well, the running backs are all almost even. So <laughs> I think they they all yeah. So Collins and Gordon had two catches and Nixon had one. So close, but on a much smaller scale. But it, that was just kind of funny to me. One thing about Collins, Cade, he is aggressive and he is a violent hitter. In pass pro, I think it kind of hurts him. Oh. He throws his body out there sometimes in whiffs, and then when he lands one, it's it's a powerful block. But I think he needs to be a little bit more controlled in the pass pro game. I, and I think that would allow for more snaps for him. If he's able to do that with how much Oklahoma state seems to want to throw the ball in these early games, but he had the most missed tackles forced. He only had one negative run. He didn't have any big runs, but he did. He didn't have great blocking for a lot of his runs. He had the Cooper holding call on yeah. one of his runs. So he, sure. he kind of, he kind of didn't benefit from a lot in this game and still had a pretty solid game. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I, I feel better about what they have at running back after having seen what Ollie Gordon did. Again, I think Elijah Collins can be a guy that just goes out there and gets you five yards in a cloud of dust uh, in conference play against a team like Kansas State to give Ollie a breather. I think you've got a good option there. Yeah, uh, and just to finish it off, Nixon, love the big run. Like we talked about, showed a, showed a little bit of movement out there in the second level. To your point, if, if he makes a big cut, He's probably gone. Yeah, Jalen Warren would have scored that. And it's not fair yes. to Jaden Nixon, but Jalen Warren would have scored on that play. 
I agree. He had two negative runs. I think he has the most negative runs out of the three backs. One 10 plus yard run, that big run, which was awesome. He had the angle route, which I thought was a great route that Bowman yes. hit him on. Yes. If she catches that clean, doesn't bobble it, and it was a good throw, he might have been that might have been a 30 yard gain. The DB was right on him, but he had a little bit of speed coming out of his break on that angle route. And if he catches that ball clean, he can continue in stride. And that could have been a huge game. I totally agree with you because when he bobbled it, he was a little slow coming out and like regathering his feet. And I think that's the only reason he got caught because he got caught from behind. And if he doesn't, I think he's 30 yards or he scores. And so I will say this too, Dustin, the little angle Texas route, whatever you want to call that is a play I have missed. And I was really excited to see that one come back. Perfect design. It's a Just video a really game good, route. Really good time. Yes, it is. A really good time for that route, too. Great play call from Casey Dunn there. Yeah, I love that. And then the last note on Nixon, he, I think he's the worst pass blocker of the three. But I don't know how fair that is because he's the smallest. You would expect that in a, in a way. Yeah. That would be he scary for the other two. Yeah. Yes. So... Uh, that Kate, I think that's all I wanted to stay on the running backs because they've been rotating so much. It's almost like the quarterback position. We can go quick through our, just, we talked a lot of offensive line, just a couple notes on them. We mentioned kind of the rotation Birmingham, DJ green Cade. We said he was going to be a problem in the past game. I kind of downplayed him as a run stopper. And because he was slanting and firing through the hole, not reading or reacting like you see Oklahoma State's three down front do, he was just shooting the gap every time. Oklahoma State's offensive lineman, when he guessed right, it looked like they were completely whipping it. But I want to get, and they were, but I want to give more credit to BJ Green. He is a, he's probably one of the best players on Arizona State's entire team, including Jalen Rashada. And I thought he was awesome in this game they moved him around from the edge they put him in a three tech which is outside shade of the guard at times he blew right by jason brooks he blew yep. right by materko and he blew right by birmingham and cooper multiple times just, don't say it too loud because that concerns me a little bit but i agree he was good he was really good yeah and so uh birmingham had the false start i think thought his pass pro it's almost the same grade for me as last game Pass pro below average. I thought it was a little bit better than last game. There was still a little bit of the confusion with Jason Brooks. Those guys are new playing next to each other. There was a stunt, but I thought they cleaned up a lot of that. And then I thought Birmingham was pretty good in the run game. He pulled one time on that GT counter, and he had a great block on that. Uh, any any thoughts that I missed on Birmingham? None on Birmingham that I haven't already gotten off my chest. Let's do Brooks last because he okay. is an enigma. Okay. I think we should. I uh, think we should. Joe Maholski, still a couple funky snaps, so I thought he cleaned it up well from the first game. He looks much better when he doesn't have a zero-tech nose in his face yes. the entire game like he did against UCA. A couple issues in run blocking, but he got to the second level a couple times. One of the plays I clipped, he, he maybe had one of the better games of the entire offensive line. No high snaps. Yeah. I think he had one low one that Bowman caught, but other than that, he was pretty low good is snap, better as far as snapping. high has been a problem for him for years. Yeah. And he was great on the under center snaps or it seemed like he was, I mean, 
I didn't have a close up angle of that exchange, but it definitely seemed <laughs> like he was. <laughs> Matirko, I thought he struggled in his 22 snaps. I thought he was not good in limited snaps, which is bad. I don't so know what I, it ta- yeah, I don't know what it takes for him to because uh, he gets playing time, but Preston Wilson came in and the game changed immediately. Yeah, Preston it took him a great segue to Wilson. I thought it took him a little bit to get his feet under him. He gets blown back, but he gets got blown back at times last year. He's more of a technical offensive lineman, I feel like, like Springfield, which is why I think maybe they moved him off of center. And because mm. and I think it also is because of all the injuries he sustained. Maholski might have a little bit more of that mean streak to him to fire off from the center spot if he has a zero tech nose in front of him. Whereas Wilson is a guy that can play every offensive line position because he's very technically sound. I thought he had a way better game than Matirko. And Kate, like I said, maybe give him a shot at tackle and move Birmingham inside. Well, I just, I feel like I agree with that. And I feel like that early holding call on Dalton Cooper is a bigger deal than just a holding call because that was Preston Wilson's, was that not his first or second drive? And they were running over right guard consistently. And for that offensive line who has not popped a big run in a long time, that I think could have accelerated the timeline to get things rolling. But what you do is you you take a Preston Wilson who just sprung a big block and you pull that back 10 yards in the drive stalls and then you get to a halftime after Arizona State marches down the field. I think that was a huge play in the game because oh, yeah. Preston Wilson made a huge block and Dalton Cooper gets called for holding. That's your right guard, right tackle. He didn't tackle even right need there. to hold. Didn't need he to hold to because Wilson crushed that him. DB. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was a tiny DB. He just needed to stand in front of him. Hundred percent. Speaking of Cooper, I thought he looked better in this game than last game. He had the holding call. I think he still struggled some in pass pro, but I think he looked better than Birmingham did in pass pro. And then I thought he was okay as a run blocker. He, he still, it's almost kind of like Brooks who we'll talk about next. He still gets a little bit of his hands and head out over his feet at times and misses, but I I thought he definitely improved from the UCA game against a more probably talented overall team being a power five team. Cade, Jason Brooks, second game in a row. He's had some of the best blocks of the entire game, like highlight reel pancake blocks. He had two almost in a row. There was one pass play in between. He has one. Then he, Ollie gets grabbed at like the goal line. There's a pass play, a uh, fade ball, or no, no, it's out route to Stribling. And then on the touchdown, he pancakes uh, the same guy again. And then he has plays where he almost doesn't touch anybody and is just yeah. standing around looking around. It, do, it does not make sense. And I'm glad we went on him last because we've talked about the left side he's he's part of that like there are plays where it's just like somebody over there touched somebody because he's he's getting blown by multiple times in this game and additionally making great blocks that stick out when you rewatch like the it be- he had the best blocks in the game and maybe the worst 100 like that's how big the that. the spectrum was on that like would totally agree, and that's not what we really. I mean, he didn't do much of that. Frankly, nobody blocked last year, but he was the guy. I think this is probably like an issue from last year, but it was overshadowed by the fact that nobody blocked. And now that guys are starting to block a little bit, this pops a little bit more. 
I think this gets cleaned up, don't you? It's almost like, and Gundy even said this, he said he just gets a little bit out of whack sometimes. <laughs> I don't even know what that I means. Almost think, I almost think it's he's try, like he's trying too hard on oh. plays. Like he, because when you see him with, he's like way out over in front of himself, like almost falling forward. And it's like he's either taking a wrong step or obviously BJ Green, when BJ Green blew by him, that's just so quick speed from Green, slow reaction from Brooks. But some of the time, it's almost like he's getting a little too far out over the top, making a wrong step, missing. And obviously, he's a big offensive lineman. He's not agile enough to correct that quickly enough to still get a hand on the guy. But when he's sound and gets his hands on somebody, he is b- dominating. He's got we a saw little him bit make of an awesome block at the yeah. second level. Yeah. yeah. I, so it's, I agree with you. I think it gets cleaned up, but the highs for Brooks make me feel like he could be an all conference team offensive lineman. So what you're saying is when he's sitting in an NFL room in, and getting interviewed and they're pulling up his tape, they're going to ask him what happened there. And he's going to say, I tried too hard coach. I tried too hard. <laughs> I care too much. And I worked too hard. Those are my interview. weaknesses. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely technical. It's a technique thing is what it looks like to me on film. But I, I do agree with you. I think he cleans that up. But, Cade, again, we do this on purpose just so people continue to listen. I think we kind of buried the lead. I think we got to talk some QBs and receivers. Let's start with QBs this time, if, yeah. if you don't mind, because I think that it. it actually leads better into the receivers if we do that. And we'll see. Could be I could be wrong. So scheme-wise, more play action this time. Still not many shots deep downfield. We did see some post-snap RPO. There really wasn't much of that at all in the UCA game, play action or post-snap RPO. They went to that play action screen pass that I clipped multiple times, which that play, even though it's from the pistol, that was kind of like an ISO run play with a lead blocking fullback that they turned into play action. Quarterback, old school play action. Quarterback's turning his back to the defense, so you know it's not an RPO. He can't read anything when he's looking the other way. Turns around and throws the ball out. All three quarterbacks ran it. All three times it gained yards. A couple times it was a huge gain. Twice to Stribling, once to Bray. Love that play. They ran that mesh arrow. I called it mesh arrow because mesh rail is a popular concept, but that's more of like a wheel route from the running back. And this was more of like an arrow, which is kind of out to the flat. So they ran that multiple times, once with Presley that turned into a touchdown when Arizona State was blitzing and Rangel got the ball out really quick, which I love. There was still some of the pre-snap field read RPOs. They did that split zone play action where the tight end comes across the formation. That's one of those plays where Bowman grounded it, and rightfully so. They slid protection to BJ Green's side at times. Did you notice that? Like the offensive line all took a slide step. And they would roll out the other way. They did that when Bowman was in. You mentioned it. I think yeah. it was to get Bowman away from Green. Yeah. So it was it was very interesting. Still not a ton of play action, not a ton of RPO, a lot of hitch routes, a lot of slants, those options, which Arizona State gave them the look for the hitch. So that's why you saw that much more than the fade. Think about the play where the miscommunication with Jaden Bray, just there was no miscommunication this time. Not a ton of mixing it up again. You know, we saw them run that one route concept with the cross 
the Y cross multiple times in the UCA game. In this game, they went to that screen pass three times. They went to the mesh arrow four times. There's seven of the 32 pass plays. They also had some running back screens. I talked about the hitch and slants. After you mention those routes, you get to like 25 of the 32 pass plays. So just not a ton of mixing it up a little bit more than last game. What did you think, Cade, before we get into quarterback one by one overall of the scheme passing wise? Still vanilla, still basic. And I mean, without repeating myself for the fifth time, it's pretty impressive that they can go on the road and win a game like that with that type of game plan where it kind of it's a little bit of a tweak in appearance with some guys running in motion. But they ran that under screen. I don't know what you would call that. They ran that almost predictably the first snap of every new quarterback's first drive. I can't believe that they all completed it too with, with ease. Nobody's even in more huge gains. I know. I know. And we don't need to get to the wide receivers, but Stribling was awesome. He runs that route. Great. Um, And overall the scheme was fine. It's all middle of the field stuff. And I personally love that. I think it's an underutilized part of the field that we've talked about. We mentioned it on this podcast. I think it's a total adjustment, though, because this is not a, at least through two games, bombs away type of offense. I think that's coming, but I think it's just it just looks so different. Yeah, and the, th- the thing about it is, it, and I'm not trying, I'm not like saying this is a positive or that they should be doing it this way, but it's almost like once they get into a little bit of a predicament, so say it's against South Alabama, they have that break glass in case of emergency where I think they can go to some concepts that they practice all off season, yep. go to some run scheme that they practice all off season. And I'm not saying it's going to for sure work. And that's your safety valve that you're for sure going to win that game, but they do have that option. If they were to get into some trouble, I'm not saying that's the way they should be going about this season, but I just wanted to point that out. They're, they're, it feels like they're treating this like the preseason. I mean, the, it literally Did you hear feels- DJ McKinney. No, he talked to the media today. It's on, up on OSU Max. It's either today or yesterday. I think it was today. Oh, I can't remember exact exactly when it was, but it was a quick interview. Doesn't matter. Quick interview with DJ McKinney, and he called the non-conference two times. He called it the preseason. <laughs> I swear to you, he called it the preseason. I I literally felt like through the in the third quarter. I'm like, oh, they are absolutely treating this like it's an exhibition. And I really felt that way with the Garrett Rangel delay of game. Like I was so frustrated with that because it's like one, you want Garrett to see the play clock, but two, you'd like Mike Gundy to call timeout. But you also think about like, you could use that as a teaching moment, right? Like you can't, if you don't bail them out, I mean, that directly led to four missed points. And yeah. if you don't bail the quarterback out, it is 100% a coaching moment in the the meetings this week in practice. Look at the play clock because you didn't bail him out. Gundy said uh, he's got to look at the white hat when he has his arms down <laughs> and play ball. Because what Gundy said is that it confused Rangel because they subbed twice Arizona mm. State. So the second sub, the balls, the ref's not holding the ball anymore, and he doesn't have his arms up. I'm, I'm showing on a podcast where we don't have any video. I'm showing Cade. He doesn't have his arms up anymore. <laughs> so on that 
you can snap it while they're doing that second sub because they were only allowed the three seconds or whatever uh, it is for the one. Interesting. And Rangel never looked at the playcock, to your point, and he never looked over at the white hat official to see that he had his arms down signaling play ball. Wow. That's very interesting. I know we're getting in the weeds there, but it kind of speaks to this whole preseason mentality they're taking. I don't know if you can do that against South Alabama. You probably need to call timeout at the goal line anytime. But, you know, I think about it from my own experiences, you know, leading a team. It is almost easier and more impactful to coach after a very clear failure than it is to prevent it and say, here's why you shouldn't do what you are about to do. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, I think I think it's a perfect point from you. Even though it didn't work out, even though there was a chance they could have gotten themselves in a bad spot. You still won the game. It's a non-conference game. And now you've got the teaching moment. So way to think of the positive, Kate. I love that. But moving into the QBs fully, I know we talked a little Rangel just there. To be consistent, I think we have to be consistent, just like Coach Gundy is with playing all three. Let's start with Alan Bowman. Okay. Let me read you off some stats, Cade, and then I want to get your general take on him. 24 plays, to total plays, 119 yards, 5 yards per play. He was 11 for 16 passing for 113 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. There were six running back rushes for him for 11 yards. That's 1.8 yards per carry. And he had two runs from each running back. Eight run, 16 pass. We got a question on Twitter. I went back through all of Alan Bowman's snaps because I, I just went and did him first because I knew if he had the highest number of true pass plays, it wouldn't even matter about the other guys because even if all nine of Rangel's, all seven of Gundy's were true pass plays, it wouldn't be as high of a percentage as Bowman's were because he had more. So of his pass plays, I counted 15 and I added one in that he got sacked on. So you see 16 attempts. I counted 17 pass plays. 15 of those had no post-snap RPO action. One of these things, either no post-snap RPO action the line blocked pass right off the snap. The running back ran a route, chip blocked and ran a route, or even one time Ollie Gordon motioned out into empty. So no yeah. one to even, you know, so what I'm trying to get as no run action. And then on the one screen that he ran that we talked, that we've talked about multiple times, he turns his back to the field. So that can't be RPO because he can't read anything when he's not looking at the defense. So 15 of those 17 dropbacks were true pass where aside from a pre-snap audible, pre-snap, just grab it and hand it off, which you don't normally see. It's more of a run to a pass audible check with me type thing that they do. Those were true pass plays. So he did not have the option to run it. That means that 63% of his total plays were true pass. And that is more than Rangel and Gunnar Gundy. So, I know there's been, I've seen some kind of arguments on Twitter and just, you know, uh, even amongst friends and group messages about, are they really calling more pass plays for Bowman? Yes, yes, they are. Now, I could be wrong on some of these things. I'm not saying I'm right about everything, but to my eye, going back through and tracking these plays, they are calling more pass plays that don't have a run option for Alan Bowman through two games than they are for the other QBs which le could lead you down a rabbit hole. We would probably have to spin off an entire separate episode just to talk about 
the difference in philosophy from quarterback to quarterback, which I do think is a threat to this team's overall success down the line. It's impossible you, to evaluate. If you don't pick one, if you don't pick yeah. one, I have no way as somebody who goes back and watches the tape, you go back and you chart it. I have no way of knowing what this offense actually looks like when it changes fundamentally three times during the course of a game. There's no identity. None. There's at truly all. no identity. And Cade, it may be on purpose, which we've already kind of alluded to as we've talked through this. So, it may be on purpose. I don't really personally understand that, kind of. But if if you were to ask me to argue both sides of that argument, I probably wouldn't be able to do it for the side that completely understands that. It's very... It's difficult. It's also difficult probably for teams, as Kenny Dillingham mentioned, Arizona State's coach in his pregame presser. It's hard for teams to scheme against this, especially, you know, a team like South Alabama who or, or UCA even who have lesser athletes, smaller schools. I'm not I don't if I was their coach and I would never be Kane Womack is a much smarter football mind than me but I would have no idea what to do because Gundy could just decide, hey, let's go Rangel the entire game and mix in the entire offense that we've run. We'll do some 10 P more air raid looking stuff. We'll add in some under center. And if, if he were to do that against a smaller school like South Alabama, if they come out and use the whole playbook, I think they kind of stomp them because I, or at least in the first half, it feels like they could do that if they wanted to, but they may not want to. So they won't. Which is kind of infuriating as a fan. Absolutely infuriating. So as much as we try to take, you know, the impartial, we always want to be impartial. We don't want to be positive just to be positive. We're fans of this program, but it is infuriating. Like there, there is a point where it's like, okay, long-term, does this set you up well for success against a Kansas state? Who's going to come to town in three weeks. And at that point, if you're playing three quarterbacks and you're doing this still, I'm going to, I'll say it. I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> I'm going to be yeah. pissed. And Cade, the thing is it could work. They could come out and beat Kansas state. And then you're looking at the rest <laughs> of the season. And, and I'm right. saying as a fan, it is an, I agree with you as a fan trying to take away from us scheme, breaking down track in the game, trying to be kind of non-biased, even though I think we're a little bit more positive. most but looking at it completely away from that as a fan sitting in the stands i get it like i get why it is making people mad because it all of what we just said i'm not going to rehash everything that we just said in the past five minutes but it's confusing now if they come out and beat kansas state though if it does work then the rest of the schedule aside from like bedlam which is all you know it's bedlam is looking even more easy as <laughs> you continue <laughs> to look at it with teams like Houston. And if you could get past that K-State game undefeated, you're setting yourself up for a run Okay, at the Big 12 so, Championship. But there's no way. There's no way they do that, right? Like, no. they're it, but there's, there's a non-zero percent chance that we get through eight games and we're still doing this. And you so- can't get, you can't beat Kansas State running this offense I don't is, what, so. is what I'm saying. I'm saying Kansas state would be the stop point. I think you might have to open it up a lot more this week, yeah. which we'll get to in a little we'll bit of South there. Alabama. At some point we'll get there. 
But but if their goal is to get to K-State and it works, it's going to be the most big brain thing that's ever happened. I just, I, I don't, there's no way that's truly the plan, but just to kind of think theoretically, I thought it was kind of fun to go off on that tangent and talk about it. I know that, bit. and I know that we are going to break these three down, but if I tweeted this and I, I still believe it even after having seen the way Gunner played, who played well again and Rangel in the moment as a head coach, I'm, I'm shocked that just from the microscope of that game, that Alan Bowman left it because you're tied seven to seven. You're now you're moving on offense. And for me, I'm just, I, like, as a fan, I'm just sitting there thinking, win the game, right? Because that's all I'm thinking about. I'm not the CEO of Oklahoma State football where I'm being paid to think about the long-term trajectory of this season. I'm saying there's no way you pull Alan Bowman. I tweeted that. But as the game ends, you start to realize, okay, well, this is the way they're doing it, and it's and it's for a reason. And I think the reason is, Dustin, that they're treating it like the preseason. <laughs> just yeah, kidding. it it, DJ McKinney, and he was asked about opening the play. I know we're talking offense, but he was asked about the playbook when he said preseason, oh, almost yeah. like the coaches are saying it. Yeah. And wow. I hate to call out DJ because it, it might have just been a slip. Like, I I do that on the podcast all the time. For anyone who listens, knows that. Say the wrong word. But he said it twice, and it was talking about opening up the playbook. So it, it's just funny to think about. But sorry, I didn't mean to completely derail us. Back down, Bowman. Four or seven on third down. He had three throwaways, and I, I I counted him with two bad throws that weren't caught. So I'm not I'm not saying all of his throws that were caught were great throws, but of his five incompletions, three throw three throwaways, and the other two I think were on him. Primarily screen that mesh arrow slants hitches. Which can you were talking about those slants and hitch kind of are the hitch option route with the fade on there? Not only Arizona State showing that, but the fact that even if they're not giving the best look for the hitch at times, Bray and Stribling can create so much separation. And on the slants, finally, it makes sense to just continue to throw them. I mean, we we yelled about it all year last year, and it's a great feeling knowing that you can run a slant and somebody's going to be open. We didn't have that last year. Yeah. Uh, I had him blitzed, so five. I'm counting blitz as we have been on this podcast since the inception of the podcast five or more rushers. If you bring four and it's a guy, but it's a guy from the second level, you're still bringing four. So I'm not counting it on this. It, it is technically a blitz, but five or more, I counted three times that Bowman was blitzed or two times. Sorry. PFF had it at three. And then I, I just came for Bowman. My thing, he did. He had one incompletion, 20 plus yards on the field. He completed one ball over the middle, 10 plus one ball to the right hash. 10 plus, and then he was incomplete to the left hash 10 plus. The rest were kind of the screen and the slants and the hitches all under 10 yards. But I thought, again, he showed his ability to get the ball out quick. He's It's kind of first read. He's kind of looking to one side of the field, but that's pre-snap and he's getting the ball out quick and the guy is normally open and making the catch. I think he's pretty accurate aside from the two that I talked about. My thing is he's He's looked a little bit less mobile than I remember or than he showed at Texas Tech. And it's causing him, as we mentioned last podcast, to throw off his back foot quite a bit. 
Yeah, I think, and, and you saw the incompletion. He does not have the gas in his arm to get the ball there downfield if he's doing that. Well, and he nearly missed that one wide open to Jaden Bray, who made a fantastic catch kind of coming around the other side. That was oh, a yeah. th- that's a throw that you've got to make. And I do think that his footwork is leading to some inaccuracy. I don't think it's immediate. It, it led to that incompletion you're talking about. But I think right now you can get away with it. But I don't know if you can get away with that with Oklahoma's defensive line or another defensive line that's going to be breathing down your neck and the coverage is better. I just I have that's the one concern I have about Bowman is it's the ball comes out quick. He knows the offense so well. The accuracy is like close, but it's not there yet. Yeah. And there's no threat to run on the zone at all. Uh, It's going to be honestly, if he ends up being the starter, there will be maybe two or three times this season where he pulls it on that play and runs for 10 yards because the defense is completely not playing that at all, which we've seen immobile quarterbacks do that over the years forever in football since the zone read started being run. Um, I don't really have any other takes on him because we've talked about him a little bit already. We, and we kind of went off that tan on that tangent because of him. So let's go back. Let's move on to Gunner Gundy. If you're cool with that. Yeah. 19 plays, 94 yards, 4.9 yards per play. He was five for seven for 32 yards and a touchdown, 12 run plays, seven pass. In his 10 running back carries, they went for 70 yards, seven yards per carry compared to Bowman's 1.8. He got double the Ollie Gordon carries with four. He got double the Elijah Collin carries with four and had the same amount of Jaden Nixon carries. So if you think about that, he got double the carries from RB1 and RB2 in the same amount from RB3 as Bowman did. <laughs> and he got some second half carries when they made the adjustments. He was one for four on third down, got sacked twice. One of those we talked about might've been on a QB draw. One was actually uh, on that draw. I think he had time to flip it out to Schultz. There was a lot the screenplay. He had out routes, which he threw the out route perfect once. And then I think he kind of overthrew it another time. Hitch, slant routes. He had the throwaway downfield to Stribling, which Stribling actually on that play, I think got a little kind of the DB kind of got into him a little bit and pushed him out into the sideline. It's a pretty good throw still from yeah, Gunner. He, he throws the deep ball better than anything else he does outside of running. Yeah, no passes. Kate, not only did he not complete any passes 10 plus yards down the field, he only threw one. Right. 10 plus yards down the field. Not 20. I'm talking about 10 plus yards down the field. He only threw one of them in his seven pass attempts. Now, I'm not saying that's on him. I'm just saying it's interesting. PFF had him blitzed five times. I had it at three, but also... On the defensive PI and the defensive holding, they blitzed him. So I, maybe that's how PFF is getting to five. But I did think they kind of turned up some of the ways they were bringing guys. So some guys from the second level, even if it was just four guys against Gunnar Gundy, and Mike Gundy alluded to that in his press conference as well. I do think he's correct there in his assumption, which was after the game. It, not watching film, I just wanted to say, I, I, I didn't think that was way out of left field for him to say Gunner got blitzed. I thought he played pretty good. The offense ran well with him again. 
I still am not sold on him being the starting quarterback for this team just because I've I'm not going to go through it all again, but I did watch him go through two full practices this spring and last spring. And I know he could have improved from there. And I saw him play last year in the what 16 passes he's thrown to Alan Bowman's 40. Yeah. Just, I, I just can't say that he's truly QB one after these two games. And, and I understand when Gundy asked that question to the media about who would you pick? I wouldn't be able to pick either right now. Well, I totally agree with that. It's also why I still lean Rangel because I think Rangel's a better thrower than Gunner. And he's got, he's somewhere in the middle of Gunner and Bowman with his legs. And so I think you lean that way for me. But I, to get back to Gunner, I think you have to give some credit to the way the offense looks when he's out there. And it looks like it moves well. I, I don't know what that means. I don't gotta know respect the run when he's out there. I get. Is it that simple? Is it that simple that the end holds and it opens simple. everything up? I don't think so. No, I, I don't think so. But they, that is a caveat you have to add with Gunner because he is fast enough to keep it and gain some yards. Yeah, but it just when you watch the film, it's not like that's. You know, and I, I agree with you. You have to respect it, but it's not like that's what is opening everything up. He's oh. a really good intermediate thrower, and I think that that helps him. If it was me, he's still like he scored the most points and the offense has looked the best probably by far with him. But I still think he's three in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it, it could be some bias to what we've seen previously. Maybe that's and what again, it is. That I, 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 he did not look great in either of those practices I was at. So it's just kind of seared in my brain. But I thought he's played good through these first two games. And like you said, I got to give him some credit still, you know, less than double or Bowman has more than double the pass attempts that he has. So it's just, it's just very, very confusing how you evaluate these guys without yep. being a coach of the team and knowing exactly what they're supposed to do each play and evaluating from that. So yep. very hard for us. And I'm sure for everybody that's watching yep. moving to Rangel before we kind of wrap up the offense with the receivers, he had 18 plays. 93 yards, 5.2 yards per play, even split, nine runs, nine run, nine pass, six for nine, 46 yards and a touchdown. He had eight running back carries, 45 yards, 5.6 yards per carry. He again has more Ollie Gordon carries than Bowman with three, two Collins carries, three Nixon carries. He also had two of the three counter runs and he had all of the under center runs, I believe, except maybe one. He was three for five on third down. I thought he had one turnover worthy pass and it was his very first pass. I thought that could have been picked off the rollout where we'll talk about this in the tight ends. When we hit them for a second, Quentin Stewart held his block. It wasn't a rollout. I think uh, Rangel moved out of the pocket and he surveyed the whole field. It looked great. I was like, man, I hope he makes this throw. Cause this would be a great throw to clip not remembering from watching it live. And then he throws and it almost gets picked off. It's a little low. He threw it to where nobody could catch it, but I counted it as turnover worthy. And Quentin Stewart blocked that great. Gave him a ton of time. Um, Owens, the throw to Owens, where he Owens probably could have stayed in bounds on that, but it was a really tough catch. It's kind of a weird throw, but he was also being chased from behind by none other than BJ Green yeah. after Taylor Materico let him fly right through. And then he had the throw away again, he recognized the blitz, got the ball out quick on that mesh arrow screen. 
He threw some screens, the quick outs, the hitch, the slants. I had him at three blitzes. PFF had him at five. No passes completed 20 plus yards downfield. I thought he showed a little bit of inaccuracy in this game. You had the Ollie one-hander. You had that throw to Owens I was talking about, except that, that one was on the run. He threw a curl to Stribling where he threw it inside. And if Stribling doesn't yep. catch that or bobbles it, it's getting picked and probably a pick six. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. I thought Rangel was less sharp in this game than he was against Central Arkansas, no doubt. But I, it's kind of hard because he hasn't played in a game and a half because he started against Central Arkansas. So back to the flow and identity, it's like some of this, I feel like everything has an asterisk to me. Yeah, I I completely agree, Kate. It, I know we've kind of talked about the idea of the quarterbacks throughout, but when you go one by one, it's like, man, you know, they kind of did their job. They won the game. Oh, no question. They all had above 67% completion percentage. That broadcast has them all at a higher than 128 QB rating. I, no turnovers, two TDs, almost 200 yards combined. It's it's, but it's different offenses, like you said, when I, they're coming out there, and it's hard to evaluate. I wrote this down in the game because I didn't want to forget it. I, and this is a good way to wrap the QBs up. I don't have any clue what the trigger is to pick one of these guys over the others. I don't know what has to happen. Like they haven't turned the ball over yet. I don't know what has to happen for one of these guys to separate themselves. Like theoretically you could say, well, they're so close that they could be close through 12, 14 games. And we just do this all year. I'm, I'm expecting that, 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 that is not the case, but what scares me is I have less of an idea now of what this looks like four weeks from now than I did coming into the season. I, yeah. I have no clue. No, I completely agree. It's it's very confusing, and I think they're going to do it again against South Alabama. So yes, sir. We'll see. Uh, receivers wise, I think this will be short, Cade. I, I think we can only really evaluate three of them because only three of them had more than one catch, and right. only three of them had more than three targets. Which Talon Chetron on one of those, I think, I don't even know if I would count it to him. I think it really truly only two, and Chetron was the only other one. So it's Presley, Bray, and Shrivling. Presley, four catches on four targets, 24 yards in the TD. Love the TD play. He played 63% of the snaps. A lot of motion from him. I thought ASU was keeping an eye on him. Casey Dunn said just as much. I think you got to figure out ways to get him the ball more. And, Cade, when you move into conference play, I think he's got to be out there on 80% of the snaps. And unless you're not running many three receiver sets. Like if they, for some reason in one game, they're mixing in, you know, some heavy, some heavy sets in there and that, and they don't run a lot of plays and I get it, but in the normal OSU offense, I think he's got to be close to 80% of the snaps as we move into conference play. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how you, you know, get to where you need to be without that being the case. And and I get it right now is fine. Kind of like with the running backs and the handoffs, it's it's fine, but it, when we're playing K-State, if he's playing less than 80% of the snaps and he's not injured, then I, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm with you completely. <laughs> Bray and Stribling, again, I think we talked about them together last time. They are such good route runners. Stribling, yes. again, he's got some things he can make up for, I think, in the blocking game. He's not the best blocker. Bray, on the other hand, I think does an okay job. 
but they create such good separation. Stribling got 10 targets in this game, caught seven of them for 65 yards and a touchdown. Bray had five targets, three catches for 47 yards. They're just very good route runners. They're both a little bit different in the way they run routes and the way they create separation. But man, they, uh, through two games, again, probably too early to say it, but the upgrade on the X and the Z position from last year is already massive. It's what we said. Is it not? What you said. Well, you too. But I... It's exactly what I thought was going to happen. And Deshaun Stribling, I think you you mentioned a little bit to be desired in the blocking, but as as a receiver, as a catching the ball receiver running routes, he's better than I thought. And I I, I think that he is pretty gifted. I, I think he's going to have a big year. Yeah, the receivers haven't done much to kind of gain negative criticism from us yet. And I think that's why we don't have a ton of notes on them. Yeah, agree. I I totally agree with you. They're think... also dealing with three different QBs, and <laughs> one of them's left-handed. That should just be the recap right there. Well, everybody looked okay, but they have three different quarterbacks, so it's it's hard. And one of them throws with a different hand. Yeah, and it, it just all looks so freaking different. I mean, and and I know we talked about this when we did the Bowman film review a long time ago, but it looks like when you had the huge shoulder pads in junior high and <laughs> middle school football and you would throw a ball, but you'd have to kind of pull your arm out around the pads. Oh, Cause you know, yeah. back then the pads are so big. That's what Bowman's arm motion looks like. And I know that's just how he throws the ball. That's but so, it's so like tight and compact and looks like it hurts him to throw it. it all- I think I said this exact same thing when we talked about him a while ago, so I'm just repeating, so sorry. But I just thought it was funny because when you're watching him warm up, when they show all three QBs in the boxes, wow. he's doing it like that. And I was like, that looks so painful. I never, you may have said that, but we've talked a lot on this podcast. I didn't remember you saying that, but now that you do, it's exactly what it looks like. It could be, I know he hurt his collarbone in the past. It could have something to do with that. Mm. But it's it's a it's a funky throwing motion. But it, I mean, it gets the ball there. So uh, tight ends wise, Josiah Johnson still some to be desired in the passing game. But when we you talked about it, we've talked about this twice already. When he got ahead of steam on that motion into split zone, he had two blocks where he blasted the edge yeah. defender. It seemed like he was pissed off about the way last week went and getting a head start, I would think is a really good way to get a guy a pancake and feel a lot better about themselves on the uh, TD for Gordon. though that we talked about when Brooks had the pancake Johnson almost cost that touchdown because he barely touched the edge player and that guy dove and grabbed Ollie's feet. Yeah. And that would have been, if I'm Jason Brooks, I'm getting very upset after that play. If that doesn't score, uh, Cassidy, I thought he looked better than the first game. Thought he blocked better. Schultz had the grab, which shocked me because I, I think that might be his first catch. Oh, I know wow. he's had some thrown to him, but I thought he looked fine in the fullback spot. I thought Cassidy looked good when he was in that ISO situation. And Quentin Stewart, Quentin Stewart needs more snaps. I think that's your tight end. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I always key on one guy, and I think it's going to be Quentin Stewart this year. So, ride ride hey, that boat all year, man. Uh, less penalties. That's all I have before we move into the defense. 
man, I don't I don't blame us for spending so much time on the offense because it is by far the most confusing. It's the most polarizing. Uh, and I think, you know, outside of the defense being maybe awesome, it's extremely exciting to figure try to figure out where this is going. So that was that was fun to break down. We can move on to the defense. Defense too, Cade, we talk about this and it sounds like more of a complaint, but when you're watching on TV, most of the plays you can't see some of the DBs. Yeah, for sure. And it's just it's just every single play you can see almost every single offensive player unless the receivers are running a vertical route downfield, which a lot of times the ball gets thrown and you can see them. So it's a little bit harder to kind of go player by player like you can yeah, with the offense. I, no doubt. But defense, okay. Overall, great game. Again, two solid weeks. 23 guys played, three less than last week. Aiden Kelly got in at nose tackle in this game. So did Jaleel Johnson. Both didn't play at UCA. And we didn't see Jaden Foreman. And PFF didn't have Kale Smith out there. I thought I saw him on a play, but I don't track that for the defense because it's it's kind of hard sometimes to see the opposite side corner. I, I didn't see But if he didn't truly didn't play, then he, that he did play last week, didn't play this week. Justin Kirkland had 40% of the nose tackle snaps. The Adam Lunt, another great call. That was his call, 40%. So he played 40%. Clay had 34 or of the total snaps. Clay had 34 and Kelly had seven. That doesn't equal 100 because they used some even front in this game, which we'll talk about. They threw some true four down even front with no nose guard out in this game. We saw none of that against UCA, Brian Nardo talked about it after the game. The way to easily think about that when you're looking at the game and you're watching the game to think about odd and even, for Oklahoma State, just think of it as Kirkland, Clay, and Kelly, and Oates most likely aren't on the field. And if they are, they're not lined up directly over the center. So there's kind of two defensive tackles and then two edge guys as opposed to it's an odd front if Oklahoma State has that true nose, a guy over the center, all three linemen are down, and they just have one of the linebackers pushed up. Even if it's Colin Oliver pushed up, that's an odd with that kind of edge player added. The even would be without the true. There's more technical that goes into it, but that's an easy way to think about it if you think about odd and even. I just kind of wanted to talk through that because I saw some questions on Twitter. Uh, another note, Gabe Brown got in. He's the backup. Mike linebacker, middle linebacker without Justin Wright. So shout out to Cade. Yeah, thank He's you. He's next up. A Cade, one stat I wanted to call out. ASU was 0 of 10 on runs of two yards or less that could have converted for a TD or a first first down. Oh yeah. 0 of 10. Um Zane Flores was Jaden Rashada this week in practice instead of Peyton Thompson. And he was practice player of the week. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. <laughs> I did so see that. Cool. And I wondered what was going on. If they were going to throw a fourth into the mix, I just was curious. <laughs> just split it. Just split it up evenly. Oh, God. Um, they tackled this week in practice, live tackling still had some tackling issues at the beginning of the game. It's kind of the story of the first half in some of those drives that we saw, but Nick Martin, Lear Crawls talked about how, you know, they like practice like that, so I thought that was fun. Gundy and Nardo both said they Oklahoma State this offseason has worked on fourth down situations more than anyone else in the country. There's no way they know that, but the confidence that they said that with Cade, I believe them. Well, and the way they looked in those in those downs it was like every single one of them outside the one that Arizona State converted was like, yeah, that had no shot. Like they just they really looked good there. 
something we have not seen at least I can remember from Jim Knowles or Derek Mason's defenses. We saw the bear front, which is kind of a five man front, but Oklahoma state ran a true five down defensive lineman front for a few snaps against Arizona state. I think it was mainly to try to slow down the wildcat, but there were five either D end D tackle or nose guards out there. So I'm not like the bear front. We saw had some linebackers and Leo's mixed in, five defensive linemen on the field at one time and four linebackers. So there were only two defensive backs on the field. Had to, in some of those settings, otherwise you were going to get smoked on the ground like they did early in that game. Yeah. Outside of goal line situations though, I cannot remember a time when Oklahoma state has done that. So it's very interesting. The safeties, not a ton of rotation there, Cade. We did get to see Ty Williams, but only for four snaps. We did get to see Cameron Epps. Trey Rucker played every snap, and Mike Gundy actually said that after the game. So I know PFF has that one right. He said they've got to figure out a way to rotate him some. And I think they do too because that play that they gave up at the end of the game on the fourth down, that 34-yard pass is the only other long pass they had besides the big 65-yarder. He overran it and fell down, and he just looked eggs. If he doesn't fall down... He can probably come back and pick that ball off oh, because he it, overran it. So he was behind the receiver, but he just looked gassed. Yeah, he he played well. And I think the whole defense played well, but you're right. I would you throw Cam Smith back there and you know figure out a way to get him out? I don't know. I I that's a tough one. And we kind of circled that as like where do you go in the preseason with Trey Rucker beyond him? So it'll be yeah, interesting it, to watch. It seems like they don't feel comfortable with apps or session. And maybe these guys are banged up too. Or Ladarius Webb playing that field safety right. because we see Epps come in, but he's at the boundary spot where Rawls plays. We see Ty Williams comes in, but he's at the rover spot. So there's something about that field safety that they don't feel. And I get it, it's the wide side of the field, a lot of room over there. They don't feel super comfortable rotating in. Yeah, I got my Epps and my Smiths confused as well. I knew that was going to happen. It's a matter of time till I get my Kales and my Cams confused, <laughs> but I meant Cam Epps. I was wondering. No, I, I, I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Um, aside from the one long pass that uh, uh, that they had, the one I was talking about, the, that one we just talked about where Rucker fell, ASU only gained 27 yards on 11 plays, 2.5 yards per play against that even front defensive look with Colin Oliver as the, as the Leo, the the position from Jim Knowles defense. And it was kind of like a two, four, five, because normally you had that other edge, which is a Latou, Deshaun Brown, guys like that standing up along with Oliver. So you had the, the two defensive tackles with their hand in the ground and the two stand up edge. Arizona state ran a running back screen multiple times against that. That didn't work. I think it's because they thought Oliver was just going to overrun the screen every time as a you know man on fire, and he didn't. He played it well. I feel like Colin Oliver had his best game since 2021. Oh, I dude, mean, he looked all awesome. over the field. They had a play, too. I think it was third and short. Arizona State ended up converting this, but he started out in the flat, and as, this, as the play was starting to start and he timed the snap perfectly – he came right over the ball and tried to blow up the entire play, like <laughs> right at the snap, literally at the snap and uh, missed it. But I was, I'm, 
I cannot wait to see what Brian Nardo does with him beyond that, because as as Colin Oliver said, we haven't even really shown our stuff yet. And you've got Colin Oliver flying in over the ball in a third and short setting. I can't wait to see what he does. Yeah, Oliver said it after the game. Benson said it in the media session and DJ McKinney, who we've talked about, said it as well. So they can't all be lying. So there's still stuff in the bag. The forced fumble Colin Oliver made, he comes across and just blows it up. I I watched that and just said, that was Malcolm Rodriguez right there. That's a Malcolm Rodriguez Oklahoma State play. Coming across, not getting caught up in the mess and firing in on on the ball carrier and making probably the most perfect form tackle I've ever seen. I'm sure a bunch of high school football coaches saw that and jumped out of their chairs when yeah. they saw the form on that. It, it also was a fumble recovery. I mean, I, I don't know how they didn't end up with the ball, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, there were only, Kate, PFF only has Oklahoma State blitzing twice. I only had one, five or more blitz. Outside of, you know, a delayed blitz, I'm not going to count. We talked about that last week. A true five-man or more blitz won in this game, and they didn't do it very much against UCA. So kind of flipped what we were talking about, how the offense still has some bags of tricks that they could go to if they needed to. The blitz package for Brian Nardo, aside from the film we have on Gannon in Emporia State, we don't know what his blitz packages even are. Which is exciting because it looked like they were blitzing. I mean, they were getting after Jaden Rashada. Colin Oliver, yeah, was they were getting pressure with three and four, which was great to see. Yep. In coverage, Kenny Dillingham mentioned this. Oklahoma State used a lot of cover two, which is the cornerbacks kind of staying in the flats and two high safeties. They also did some trap coverage where it would look like they the safety was going to maybe drop back into a deep zone and bit like came up hard on the on the out route on the flat or on the hitch. And the corner would sometimes look like he was dropping into a deep zone and change into cover two real quick, which is like a trap cover two defense. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then Kendall Daniels, I know we're going to get to him a little bit. I, I don't know how you truly evaluate him on this game. And you could say that maybe you didn't see him a lot. Kenny Dillingham also talked about this. They kept him deep pretty much the whole game. We saw him come up quite a bit in the UCA game. If they were running wildcat or short yardage situations, he came up. But he was deep, eight yards, sometimes deeper. It looked like a true Iowa State three safety look. They were not going to let Rashada throw it deep. It's a great, I mean, it's the game plan defensively. It's what we talked about. Make Rashada throw it a bunch. Do not give him anything deep, and you'll confuse him, and he'll probably turn it over, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Oklahoma State, talking about fourth down again, Arizona State was one of five on fourth down. The most fourth down stops by the Cowboys in a game since October 13th, 2012, when they held Kansas to 0 of 5. Wow. I was going to try to guess that game. I was not going to say Kansas. <laughs> uh, they mixed in some cover six, some man coverage as well. DJ McKinney talked about it. They've been pretty even split man zone. That's what I've seen. So I'm glad in, and what I've kind of put out in the Twitter thread. So I'm glad he validated me there. He could be lying, but that's what he said. So, Kate, any other general thoughts before we talk about the three kind of main position groups? No, I thought the defense looked awesome. Absolutely awesome. Better than at any point in the Derek Mason era. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. It was it was awesome to watch. Outside of the two touchdown drives, Arizona State could get nothing going. No. 
My first note on the defensive line, Jaleel Johnson, Deshaun Brown. Yes, sir. 10 plus snaps. And but I know Deshaun Brown had the one penalty, I believe, Offside. but outside of that, and that's just, you know, being a little too hyped up, kicking out of one offside. They looked awesome. These guys, there's a lot of athletic defensive linemen on this team. And I don't think Johnson was credited with half a sack, but he had half that sack, like on that yeah. fourth down play. So I, I thought both of those guys looked great. Deshaun Brown has a quick first step. I, I had not seen much of him yet. And that offside penalty was a bummer because I, you were going to get off the field there. I, I love the young defensive line. Cade, so when Colin Oliver came off the field late, and uh, uh, we've heard Colin Oliver is okay, but he came off the field late. Deshaun Brown switched to that Leo spot because they stayed in that even front. Wow. Thought that was interesting. They didn't put Donnie Stevens there. They moved Brown to that spot. So it is a true like Leo position, defensive and linebacker hybrid. It's not really a linebacker spot. Wow. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, uh, I thought Walter, Walter Scheid is probably the most just consistent yeah. guy on the team. Kind and he has Brock been now, Martin. I think, for two years. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he never really... He's never really game changer, but he's always hustling. He made a tackle out on the perimeter one time just from running the guy down. He's probably not a guy you want playing a majority of the snaps, but he played 40% of the total snaps in this game. I think the 30, 45, 30, 40%, which I want to go back to an old podcast. I think you and I said, because we were hearing that he was probably going to be the starter and I think you and I said we'd like to see him around 34%. Yeah. So I do like that. Well, we also said that this defensive line is stupid deep, and it is. I mean, now you see it in a game like this. Goodlow had some snaps where he yep. looked really dominant. Glad to see he was not too banged up from the game before. Had the sack. Xavier Ross gave you some good snaps. Didn't play a ton. He only had 15 snaps, but he comes in there and gives you some energy. Yeah, no question. No question. And I I think my last note on kind of the defensive ends before we move to the nose, the nose tackles, Nathan Latou has been an absolute monster. He's the one of the main guys who it's like, oh, these teams are worse than us because they can't block <laughs> this guy. hundred percent. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, he he got through it. Coach Nardo said this. He got through the offensive line on almost every pass play. He just didn't make the play every time because either Rashada got the ball out quick, he's too far away from him, Rashada moves well in the pocket. Three tackles, half a sack, a QB hurry, got banged up and came back. He's just an absolute monster. So I, I loved what I saw from the defensive ends. The nose tackles, Kirkland again making his impact felt. I know Adam Lunt clipped an clipped a play where he's taking on a double team, leaving space for the yep. linebacker to come right off his butt and make the play. Did that multiple times. It, it's a drop-off from Kirkland to Clay as far as pushing the offensive linebacker. I'm not saying Colin Clay's playing bad, but it is. I think it's a noticeable drop when that guy leaves the game, and I think that's what we expected. It is what we expected, and if you're not paying attention, you could miss that. Like You could totally miss a guy like Justin Kirkland, because he's not going to show up in the stat sheet, as Adam said on Twitter, it's spot on. But he is gobbling up double teams, and it makes a guy like Colin Oliver being able to come down and blow somebody up 
so much easier on a fourth and short. Yeah, I completely agree. Kelly, I thought he looked not very many snaps. I think it was like five, but he looked powerful. Read and react. He's got the technique down. I I think he just needs more snaps, but I, I liked what I saw from him in minimal snaps. Linebackers, we talked missed tackles. A lot of missed tackles from Xavier Benson. Yeah. You had Martin with some early missed tackles. You know, we'll talk about the DBs. Oliver had one early. That was a pretty big miss. So they cleaned it up as the game went on. Martin had 10 tackles. He led the team. He had the sack, the QB hurry. He is a missile when he attacks the backfield. And when he knows, when he hits his run, when he sees the play early, reacts quickly, which isn't always, but he does a good job of it. And he and he reacts, he fires through the line and he's almost unblockable. His helmet yeah. flies off. He's just an absolute missile. And it's different than like a Malcolm or a Devin Harper or a Xavier Benson. He's smaller, but I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to have the ball in my hand with him screaming through the line. I mean, it's literally like screaming. I feel like he's probably yelling when he comes <laughs> through the line like that. Yeah, he got he got hung up with the O-line a few times on those counter plays. I think they, you know, they, they made some adjustments to some of the stuff that Wildcat, they were pulling the play side guard in that kind of like G lead, down G that a team like Michigan does. And Oklahoma State was getting blasted on it. So in the second half, I clipped this. They brought Kendall Daniels down and he fired in front of the kickout block. So the the play side guard coming around, he shot the gap and tried to spill the ball outside and Xavier Benson was scraping around him. And that's when they stopped that fourth and one because Scadaboo saw that and had to take it back up the middle yep. where the D line was getting a push. So some of the stuff from the linebackers, you know, scheme changes needed to be made, but at times, you know, Martin got blocked. Oliver got blocked a couple of times, but I thought he honestly looked awesome in this game, which we talked about. I do think it's good to mix him into that kind of Leo spot in the even front, they kind of boost his confidence yeah. as well. And then Benson, I, you know, he he's just a little slow to react. And then something that I hate that he does, and I'm, I'm sure it's not on purpose, if the play, if the run goes away from him, because he's always to the field side, unless they change the even front, he doesn't really hustle after the play. Like, and I'm not saying it's not hustling, I guess. He's not full speed, whereas if the play's away from Oliver, Oliver's near the ball when the tackle is made. And there, Justin Kirkland's running out there. I talked about Walter Scheid. Benson, you don't see him do that very often. So the touchdown run from Scadaboo on that wildcat package, this is not Benson's assignment, but if he hits the hole harder, he should he would have stopped that short of, of a touchdown. But he, to your point, kind of loafed his way over there. And do you feel like he's coming up on the play as it's ending a lot? Like it's, it's like he's behind the play and then the first to get back in the huddle. I, I it's, it jumps out at me with him and he's, he's just not overly physical, but it almost is like, he's again, late to the end of the play. Like he's the it last one there. He knows his assignments, obviously. Like, he's in the right spot. There was a time on a screen where he was coming off the edge and he realized it was a screen in time, and then he turned around and didn't make the tackle. Oh. And it was like he just kind of grabbed at the guy, but his brain is moving correctly. Like, he 
he noticed it and made the play. You know, we saw Tra- that was something Trace Ford was really good at when he was, you know, what three seasons ago now when he had the really good season before he had the injuries. Yeah. Who? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't didn't mean to bring him up. It just it kind of stuck in my head when he did that. Oliver did it once too. These guys are coached well; they know what to do. But yeah, at times he's just like a little slow. He ends up doing the right thing. It's just a little slow, and then he's misses the tackle because there was multiple times where he's in the backfield and I'm like, man, if he makes that tackle, it's a tackle for loss. And if he does that two more times than he did, my tunes completely changed on Xavier Benson. Him him and Jason Brooks are two peas in a pod for me right now. Yeah. And then uh, the, the backup guys, I, you know, I don't want to go off Martin and Oliver, but they just looked awesome. I love, yeah. I loved a lot of what they did. Martin, they're just, I'm sure guys don't like to run into them because they hit hard. Stevens has a lot of energy. Him and Robertson, I think they're just a little slow to react. There was a pass behind that five down lineman, four linebacker front in front of Rucker that was dropped late in the game. That would have been a huge play. And Robertson, I think Elijah Badger might have been the receiver that dropped it. Robertson just kind of lost him in zone coverage. It's not his assignment. But he should have known it was a slant, kind of scooted over. It looked like he was a little lost. And then Gabe Brown, not many snaps, but I thought he looked pretty good. I, I think there's a drop-off, obviously, from the backup linebackers, and I don't know how much they're going to rotate when we get in the conference play. Yeah, I, it makes you nervous, but it's what we said in the offseason, that this is a, it's not the deepest unit on the team. I like that they're getting snaps, though, early, because I, I think that they could use the experience in yeah. Robertson. Right comes back. Yeah. Yeah. DBs is uh, of the DB group is Lyric Rawls, your Jason Brooks player of the week. Uh, he is not my Jason Brooks player of the week. He He is DPI missed tackles early. Then he has the pick, the pass defended and some tackles that were some of the best tackle, some of the big time stops in front of the line to gain. It was just so all over the His place best for him. game as a cowboy, probably right. Maybe outside of like Texas last year. I mean, it was really good. Yeah. And, and I'm being pretty critical. I think his stuff is just getting in game reps, but it just cracked me up because he would, <sighs> he would miss something and then he would come back and I'd be like, that's the best play I've seen all day. Yeah. And I'd be like, how did he just miss that? That's probably why he stuck out to me is because I'm like, oh, that was great. That was great. And just like kind of so, forget about everything else. So on the big touchdown, he's the boundary safety. Now there could have been a whenever there's a huge bust, it's and you can't see the entire screen. It's a little bit hard to, and you know I'm not the smartest guy in the world. It's a little bit hard to figure out. But what it looked like, it was either cover two, where both cornerbacks are staying in the flat, or it was cover six to the field, and McKinney actually had the deep kind of half to his side. But either way, Rawls needed to be deep because there was only one deep safety. And I know it looks weird because Williams and Rucker were on the same guy, but there was only one route deep to that side. Nobody had the post, and I don't think that's McKinney's responsibility no matter what the coverage was because he's middle of the field. And the reason why I say that is because the pass interference from Rawls later in the game was on a similar trips route concept and Rawls did run back to that deep middle, deep middle fourth, deep middle half. So I think that bust might have been on Rawls. Wow. Because to me, and 
it live, it 100% looked like it was Williams who's playing in that Rover spot. I, I To me, it, it makes you wonder if like, that's the right call. Like, is that the right alignment to be in for that play? And you know, that's, that's up to you, me and everybody else to debate, but you've got one deep route and two guys on him. That feels like maybe you're not in, in the best alignment and therefore a bust is going to come, whether it's Lyric Rawls fault or whether it's Ty Williams fault. So uh, anyway, that's kind of my takeaway from that. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it, I think it was definitely one of the safeties. I, I saw some people saying it might've been McKinney. It, if it's McKinney, even if it's cover six, you can't have him align there and expect yeah, and him to get, get to there. the deep. No, that's not him. Cause that's a post. I, I know the guy kind of caught it over to the boundary side, but he was running a post from that field trip side. That that's an impossible play for DJ oh. McKinney to make. Yeah. So is he, it, it was one of the safeties, but yes, I agree with you there. And then Kendall Daniels, you know, second on the team in tackles, but they kept him deep so much. I don't think I, it, I, it's almost like he, he didn't pop, but it wasn't his fault because he's kind of back there playing safety. I mean, playing a true kind of free safety spot at times. Yeah. It's kind of the way I felt about Colin Oliver after one game. I, I think we just haven't seen it yet. I, I don't think we've been allowed to. They haven't moved him around very much right. at all into kind of crazy alignments that, that we saw Nardo do with his teams at Gannon and Chris Farnsworth, their rover. Exactly. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't really want to evaluate the other safeties. You know, if that bus was on Ty Williams, that's tough because he only played four snaps. Epps only played 11. He looks like a monster out there. And then cornerback-wise, I know Corey Black left the game with injury, but he came back. He looked good. I thought, like, here's what I think, Cam Smith and DJ McKinney, why they rotate. I think they do one, the, the two main jobs at the cornerback, they each do better than the other. So I think Smith is the better kind of run stopper better maybe overall tackler guy that'll come up and make a hit and i think mckinney's better in coverage yeah if you wanted to mix them together they would be like a super corner (laughs) yes that would be very nice we don't have that luxury but both of them depending on the matchup you you could find like against the k-state who is reloading a little bit they don't have a malik Knowles. that may help you a lot against a team like that and did you see when Black came out, Smith actually went in for him. So I think I did they not feel really good they about should. those three. They and should. D- DJ McKinney is awesome. Yeah. For a redshirt freshman, he is amazing. Yeah, I'm still just a Cam Smith guy. I feel like when the light fully turns on, it's going to look different. Yeah. Uh, Corey Black, uh, he made some plays on screens. He made some plays in coverage. I think he's he's shown that he can get physical and aggressive this year and not just be that kind of floating cornerback that we saw sometimes last year. Yeah, he's he's very clearly like your top corner. We thought that going in, but he's he's played well. Cade still haven't seen a lot in terms of blitz, in terms of alignments from this defense. We saw the even front. I don't think they've shown very much, and it makes it for you know very short defensive segments on this podcast it's probably okay when we go an hour on the offense that's okay but uh yeah 
I'm just excited to see what they, you know, what's under the curtain. Special teams wise, just real quick, the 52 yarder from Hale is beautiful. I don't fault him for missing the other 50 yarder because he made the 52 yarder. He also had to make a extra point after a penalty. Uh, Punting wise, some really good ones. I think it was Paul, Wes Paul, that had one that wasn't great, but the rest were really good. I thought coverage was good. Presley got to return one. Special teams has been great. Yep. If they can keep this up, I think it could end up winning them a football game, a close football game. Well, the only take I have on special teams is they're rotating more punters than they are offensive linemen, which is confusing. So <laughs> it really is. It really is. Kate, I think that wraps up the game. We went really long again. Apologies, but Shocker. that was it. Everybody tells us not to apologize. So I think we're done apologizing. You're, you're, how about <laughs> we you're are. welcome? We will flip ourselves on our head. You're welcome. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think uh what quick word from ad sponsor and we can get to the ASU preview. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you, and go Pokes! Well, Dustin, that was a lot of fun. Um, it's always fun breaking down a win, right? We, we will take it every single time. We are coming into, though, the game that you and I had circled in the non-conference as the most challenging. I think our belief has gone mainstream. Are you aware of this? That everybody and their dog is saying that South Alabama is the toughest game on Oklahoma State's non-conference schedule? I think your belief went mainstream. Hey, I've kind of changed my tune on it a little bit. To where I think that's because Arizona State and UCA are not good. Whereas before, I thought South Alabama was just a really good football team because I watched three games from last season in the offseason because they had so many guys returning. I thought it was, and same quarter or same coach, same quarterback as well, same offensive coordinator, same defensive coordinator. But after watching, and Tulane's a good team. After watching their games against Tulane and Southeastern, hit a fumble at the goal line after a long drive and a nice run to get to the goal line. If if Southeastern doesn't fumble, then they're up 14 to 7 yeah, on I, South Alabama at halftime. I am not blown away by South Alabama. I they I think they're going to be physical. I think they're going to be most talented in the trenches that Oklahoma state has played this far, but I don't think they're that good. And I think that it lends you (laughs) 
to a situation where you're going to run into another very familiar game plan that you had against UCA and Arizona State. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I, I think so. The thing with South Alabama is they play a little bit differently on offense than we saw from an Arizona State and a UCA. They We'll get into it a little bit more with the scheme, but it almost reminds me of kind of what Texas is doing. And Kane Walmick said as much when he was talking about them. They're more of a, they want to come out in base 12 personnel. They list their depth chart with two tight ends on it, two separate tight end spots. It's a little bit different offensively. And then defensively, they're tough against the run, but they are getting shredded apart in the secondary and they got shredded apart in the secondary last year. That was their big weakness. So it's, it's interesting. I'm going to be interested to see how they choose to attack Oklahoma state, especially not knowing who's going to play quarterback or how long each guy's going to play. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, it could be another gross game, which I know isn't a bold prediction, but I definitely don't think it's, it's definitely not going to be a high scoring game. I feel pretty safe saying that. I what I was most interested to see with South Alabama was their skill talent because you would feel like a program it's kind of a catch-all program we've we've talked about them before as that would have some pretty sneaky and and I mean they have two Maxwell preseason award watch list players on their roster but it doesn't look like it when you watch at least the first two games of this season they're not popping the way I expected and maybe they get up for an Oklahoma state, a power five road trip. I would fully expect that and wouldn't be surprised by it, but through two games, you're exactly right against Southeast Louisiana. They were about to be losing that game in the third quarter, which is it's also to the people saying, well, that was Oklahoma state with central Arkansas. You're right, but we're previewing South Alabama here. So, I mean, it was tied at at, at halftime. It was seven to seven. It could have been 14 to seven. Southeastern, and this is a team in the third quarter. Southeastern, yeah. Southeastern teams of old have played Oklahoma State. They're and bad, gotten absolutely destroyed. No shot at Southeastern. My aunt works there. I've had multiple family members and friends graduate from there, and had a buddy that played there back in the day. So no shot at the Lions, no shot? who recently changed their logo. I kind of like it, but it just just all that to say, I, South Alabama has underwhelmed. Let's go, Cade. Do and obviously. Our game preview is a little bit shorter, but in the non-con, we'll go through some of the background of the team. Kane Womack, it looks like Womack, but he says it Womack. And there, I actually saw in the pronunciation guide, it says Womack, W-A-H-Mick. So very interesting pronunciation of his name. I mean, He's shout 15. out to you for going to the pronunciation guide. I mean, that's the level of detail that we're providing here. It feels like 45. Hey, I try. I try. 15 and 10 in two years, up and coming defensive minded coach. He was at Indiana. He's very young, another very young coach. He's only 36, I believe, 36 or 37. He was the defensive coordinator at Indiana in 2019 and 2020. Previously, he was at South Alabama as the DC there in 2016, 2017. He played offense at Arkansas and Southern Miss. He played fullback tight end. He's a huge analytics guy i listened to a podcast that he was on from the off season and he said for fourth down like go for it stuff anything like that he trusts the what the analytics say 
every single time. I think he said they asked him what percentage, and I think he said 99% of the time he's making analytics over a field-based call, which we've heard Gundy say kind of the opposite. He used to use the analytics. Now he's gone back to kind of a field-based knowledge of the game. Now, again, Womack is really young, so that could be why. Series history against Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State's 2-0. and Predictions this year for South Alabama were kind of all over the place. They were 10-3 and last year, which was tied for the most wins in school history. They had their most conference wins in school history in the Sun Belt. Third bowl appearance, but then you have Athlon marking them at 9-4 and and College Football News having them at 6-6. Six and six. So just kind of all over the map. They, they're such a new program. It, it's also really interesting. I mean, they've only had an on-campus stadium for three years. That's so insane. The last time they played Oklahoma State was 2018. They lost 55-13. to 13. Taylor Cornelius touched 400 passing yards. So, And Justice Hill, I think, had two rushing touchdowns. An easy win for them. They've got a lot of guys returning. 10 on offense, starters, 8 on defense. They've got a you know a ton of great players on both or a ton of solid players on both sides of the ball, except for their secondary is probably their weakness. The issue is though, Cade, and I didn't know that Kane Womack was going to say all this in this press conference. I saw it from the game. Braylon McReynolds, their third string running back, and they rotate, they were rotating their three running backs a lot in that first game, and, and they rotated them a lot last year. He's kind of their Jaden Nixon. They throw yep. him the ball. He's got a little bit more wiggle than Jaden Nixon. He's out for the season yep. uh, after having surgery. And then Devin Boyson, who's kind of their Z receiver, their their one on the outside. Kane Walmick said he's doubtful. He left that Southeastern game. On the defensive side of the ball, Yam Banks has been banged up. He played in the last game. Jalen Jordan has been banged up. He's defensive back. He didn't play last game. He should return. Keith Gallman has been banged up. Uh, again, Walmick said he should return, but their secondary that already isn't very good has guys banged up. So it's ve- it's going to be a very, very interesting game. And I, I don't know about UK, but it, when you don't have... So basically in the passing game, they lost the running back, they throw it to the most, and their number one threat on the outside. They still have good tight ends. They still have a really talented slot receiver. But this is a team that's kind of struggled to get things going on offense this year, and they're down two guys in the passing game. I, I just feel like, Dustin, it's either one of those games where, in spite of all that, they either get up and they make this a fourth-quarter game, or it is another Oklahoma State imposing their will, both with game plan and execution, and winning by... 17 14 to 17 i don't think oklahoma state can blow a team out like this uh i don't think they'll blow anybody out anymore um but i I feel like i lean towards the latter that they that this is just one of those another comfortable-ish win that you leave with a little bit of a feeling (laughs) yeah their their rushing offense last year was okay it's looked a lot better this year and their passing offense last year was was pretty good. They were like 33rd in the nation. It's been okay this year. Their offensive line though looks really good and they return a lot of guys on it. So that's one thing to watch. They actually did look pretty good against Tulane as well. They've run the ball for quite a few yards per carry. 
their scheme, I talked a little bit about it, and their offensive coordinator, you may know him, Major Applewhite, oh, former familiar. Texas quarterback, also Baton Rouge native. He went to Catholic high school where a bunch of my friends and family also went there. So another connection to Louisiana. If you don't know Major Applewhite, he's in his third year at South Alabama. He was an analyst at Alabama. He played QB at Texas. He was Houston's head coach. He's coached at Rice, Alabama. Yeah, you know, kind of, kind of some big name schools. After this season, Kane Walmick said he had a bunch of opportunities to go get an offensive coordinator job at another school because the offense did perform pretty well, and South Alabama won their most had their most victories in school history. He decided to stay. He apparently likes Walmick a lot. Walmick didn't say that part, but it's what it sounds like. He really likes him a lot, but they want to play tempo but they want to play 12 personnel. So they want to have two tight ends, but they want to go fast. They want to create mismatches, a lot of motion, a lot of tight end motion, a lot of those two tight end shifting that you see from teams like Texas, Iowa State. I didn't see them run 10 personnel very much at all. And I've probably, Kate, out of all the non-con teams, I watched the most South Alabama because I knew they had so many guys returning when we were leading up to these film reviews. They put their tight ends all over the place, H-backs, split them out wide, diamond trips, two by two. And then they they have motion on almost every snap. Uh, Colin Lacey, their slot receiver, will go in motion a bunch. In the run game, it's a good mix of zone and gap, but I'd say it's more zone heavy. They'll do both inside and outside. They, they run a lot of different stuff, and this is a major Applewhite team because this is what he's always done. Split zone, GH counter, GT, they'll toss it with pulling linemen. They'll run power. This season, I've seen them run more GT counter and then outside zone with that H-back coming across kind of as a lead blocker and then mixing in some inside as well. A lot of drop back passing game. They'll do some RPO. They like the switch release. I talked about the diamond trips. They like to you know have the receivers all kind of crisscross off the release. Their deep threat has been voicing, and he's probably not going to play in this game. And they like to take shots. And without him, I think they're just going to try to throw the slot fade to Lacey because they just they don't normally throw it deep to the tight ends. And I'm not, I'm they have other talented receivers, but Voison was kind of their go to deep shot guy, and they take a lot of them. Seems like a slot fade against this defense is not you know necessarily the silver bullet that I would have picked to go up against a three three five. Yeah, I, I think if Oklahoma State can take away Lacey, keep an eye on him, and try to stop the run, I, I'm not sure if Carter Bradley, their quarterback, can win the game throwing it to the tight end. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. Like I said, they returned four starters on the offensive line. I like all of them. I actually like their entire offensive line. <laughs> They're all pretty good. Uh, Reggie Smith, their center, he did struggle a little bit against the zero nose in the games that I saw. So we'll see how he does against the likes of a Justin Kirkland. And then Strickland, their right tackle, They he's the one they really like to pull. So it'll be interesting. Running backs, that's kind of their strength, especially heading into this game. Even without McReynolds, LaDamian Webb, 5'7", oh, 210 wow. pounds, just a bowling ball of a man. He's really, really good. He hasn't carried it a ton this season because he's been banged up all offseason. He only carried it like seven times last game. I think he had like over 10 yards per carry. He's a preseason all-first team, all-everything. Tough to bring down. He was at Florida State previously. 
And I think he holds the South Alabama single season rushing record. Oh, wow. Little guy, packs a big punch. And then along with him, Kentrell Bullock has been kind of their go-to guy since they're working web back. He's an old Miss transfer, also very good. And they're, they've been throwing it to him with McReynolds out. I, I like him a lot. And this is probably, Kate, I think the strength of their offense going into this game is they're going to try to run it with Bullock and Webb. That's that's what I would do personally. I mean, if you are down that receiver, again, tight ends up the seam, vertical, you know, routes that doesn't seem like, you know, it didn't work that well with frequency against Arizona State. I don't expect that a team that doesn't throw it deep that well, like Arizona State does, can find success down the field. So very similar to me game plan that you had against Arizona State is keep everything in front of you, try to stop the run. Yeah, because Carter Bradley, their quarterback, will throw interceptions. I think he's already thrown two or three this year, and he threw 12 last year. He's talented, but to your point, if if you can make him kind of beat you throwing the ball in the short to intermediate, I think he will force it into coverage and make a mistake. And, Kay, before we move on to the defense and – their other outside of their tight ends, Brandon Crum, Lincoln Seth Sefshik, and DJ Thomas Jones are all awesome. They're all awesome run blockers. I think South Alabama tries to get them involved a lot in the passing game, but their receivers without voicing, the only other guy that they've really been throwing it to on the outside is Jamal Pritchett. And he's built like a slot receiver. He's 5'8, 164. I bet they try to get some action going in the flat. I, I bet they do after seeing what UCA was able to do just after, after hearing you break this down, seems like the flats are going to be where they try to make their money. Yeah. And uh, one more note on Bradley. He uh, does have a strong arm and he can move a little bit. He's not a running QB, but he can get away from coverage. He's also not afraid to throw into coverage. <laughs> we talked about Bowman's kind of funky release. Bradley's got a pretty aesthetically pleasing. Yes, he release. does. He looks like a quarterback Yes, he does. back there. And it's probably because he's from a football family. Gus Bradley uh, is his dad, the DC for the Colts. So I didn't, I didn't know that part. Interesting. Yeah, Kate, I'm, I'm deep dive in the non-con teams. Did you find that in the pronunciation guide? Is, is that where you saw that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't have any other notes on their offense, Kate. Unless you do. No, I don't. I underwhelming was the way I, I left watching their offense. And something Oklahoma State's seen before with the two tight ends because Iowa State does it, Texas does it. I think it'll be familiar to them. Defensively, last season, 87th in passing defense, third in the nation in rushing defense. It's literally exactly the same this year. Yeah, It might be worse passing defense, and it honestly is probably just as good rushing defense-wise. Yeah, Parker with Stats of War has... South Alabama's passing defense at a 123. That that's bad. Yeah. It's they've just been getting and they they kind of play aggressive single high sometimes and it just gets them beat. But their DC Corey Batoon, he's in his third year. DC, he's been DC at Hawaii and FAU. It's Kane Womack's defense. Womack's defense, though. It's the they call it the swarm D. It'll look like a three three five, a four two five, a four two five, or a two four five. They've been showing a lot this year: the two down linemen, two stand up edges, and then yeah, you know, the the rest of the defense kind of looks. It it's basically like a four two five, but two of the edge guys are standing up. 
and that's their bandit defensive end, Jamie Sheriff, who's normally to the field side, the wide side, and their wolf linebacker, Quentin. Oh, they have cool names for their linebackers too. I know we talked about that previously. Their wolf linebacker, Quentin Wolfen, is kind of the guy at the boundary sign who will be standing up. So it looks like a 4-2-5 with two stand-up edges, which Oklahoma State did that last game. And they call it the they call it the swarm D. The D line rotates a lot. They played a lot of zone versus Tulane and got torched. And they went to a bunch of man versus Southeastern and got torched. So I don't know what they're gonna do, but their defensive linemen, Wakavius Thomas, Charles Coleman, Jamal Hickbottom, Brock Higdon, Jamie Sheriff, who I mentioned, they're all really talented. The linebackers are pretty good. They've got the Wolf linebacker, the Sting linebacker, and they also have their Husky safety. Okay, So they've got some cool names, but I I like their front seven, but the back end of Aiden Boyson, Ricky Fletcher, Keith Gallman, Yam Banks, Marquise Robinson, Jalen Jordan, if he plays, have underwhelmed. They just, they can't handle one-on-one coverage. So two things. Number one, has a good defense ever used a goofy nickname like swarm d or speed d or something along those lines has there ever been a really good defense so i'm just going to get that off my chest the other (laughs) thing is oklahoma state has to switch up a little bit of their clear desire to run the football if if you go into this game trying to run 40 times i mean is that a recipe for success against South Alabama? Or do you go like you did first half with Bowman and spread it all over the yard? Does that make you a little bit worried if they do switch yes. the quarterback rotation again and start Gunner Gundy? I know he can hit the quick pass to the short to intermediate, but if they have him in and they don't try to take some deep shots over the middle, we know he can throw the deep ball down the side, the fade. And maybe, you know, go to second, third progressions, especially if South Alabama isn't blitzing, which they do like to blitz. I'm a I feel like a Bowman would be the starting option just to kind of see what South Alabama's gonna do. Because if they play like they've been playing and you can find holes in the passing game in 10 and 11 personnel, why not go score real quick at the beginning of the game on uh-huh. that? I, and maybe I, Gunner Gunny can do that, but it it makes me a little nervous about starting Gunner in this game. Yeah, I agree. And I, I again, I I have a hard time thinking that this is the type of defense to impose your will on the ground uh, if they're that strong up front. I I think you spread it around. the The reason why, though, and Coach Gundy talked about this in their radio show. I, like I said, they have the four guys up front, then they have the Sting linebacker and the Mike linebacker, and then they like to bring their Rover safety and their Husky safety at times down. And even Gallman, their free safety, they like to bring a safety down into the box and they like to, they like to have more numbers than you in the run game at all times. I'm wondering if they'll change that a bit in this game because thinking maybe they could stop Oklahoma state's rushing attack without that extra guy, because they have been getting torched Southeastern threw for like 300 yards on them. If, if they do that, I think Oklahoma State could find some issues on offense in this game. If they're they're able to defend the run with seven or six and not bring a safety down, this could look a little slow offensively. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, 
I do like, I didn't mention him yet, the names of the Sting and Mike linebacker, Trey Kaiser and James Miller. They will blitz the, their linebackers a lot. They like to bring Kaiser off the blitz. They're a heavy blitz team. And I'm going to be interested to see how Oklahoma State's offensive line and running backs and quarterbacks yeah, they, handle the blitz because they blitz more than, they'll, I, they blitz. I know Arizona State blitzed quite a bit in that last game. South Alabama blitzes more. Yeah, this this is an exciting matchup for those reasons. Okay, I'm ready for prediction. If you are, I know we've we've been talking for a while. I've been talking for a while. I'm gonna I'm, go. Sorry. I'm apologizing to you, not the not the listeners. Well, I'm apologizing to you. I will never apologize to our listeners ever again for the length of this podcast, given the unanimous love for the length of this podcast. <laughs> I think the defense has its best game yet. I think they found something. And I think they can show that again. I think that this is a, I think they score 27 again. <laughs> I think for three games in a row, I think they score 27. And I think they hold it's, South Alabama to 13. If you don't pick 27, then you're just not fun. You yeah, almost I know, have to right? pick it. Just go 27. And they may score that against Iowa State. They could score more in this game than 27. I just think predicting a high score, and I, I picked 30 last week, but predicting anything more than that with the three quarterback system, because these guys just cannot get into a rhythm and get the offense just can't really get into a rhythm doing that. I don't think personally doesn't make sense. So I'm going to go just to change it up a little bit from you. I'll go 30 again, even though I said, if you don't pick 27, you're an idiot, but just to switch it up from you, I'm going to go 30, 17. I think you would take that. I would leave that game feeling pretty good about going to Ames after that non-conference. I think if they wanted to and opened up the playbook on defense, they could hold South Alabama to 10. I don't think they I don't think they want to. I don't think they have I don't think to. they want to either, but I think that they could if they wanted That's to. It's exciting. Yeah, I think I think that I think we leave this feeling similarly about the offense that we do now and better about the defense than we do now. Like we could be talking about this defense as a borderline elite group after this game. Yeah. And again, I know I was touting South Alabama all off season. I don't think they're as good as I thought, but I still think they're the best non-conference team we're playing, but more now because UCA and Arizona state aren't good. Hey, to, to, to quote our friends, the tape does not lie. It, if you watch them, they're not really what I thought they were going to be, but I think they pose it's a it's an intriguing matchup both offensively and defensively for what they do well. If they blitz well and they blitz a lot, this could look pretty bad offensively. You could get happy feet Allen Bowman back there and then be in a situation where you can't move through this. I I am just kind of fascinated by what Oklahoma State's going to have to do offensively. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. Okay, before we wrap up, let's hear one more time from a sponsor like to mention wild oak lighting a sponsor it feels like 45 podcast during this football season wild oak lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater oklahoma city area stillwater and several other oklahoma markets jellyfish lighting is a permanent but discreet color changing led lighting system for the exterior of your home with 16 million different colors and patterns jellyfish lighting can be used for christmas holiday and accent lighting and of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website, wildoak 
wild-lighting.com, or you can follow them on Facebook or follow them on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. Cade, I know I've told you about it many a time. I'm sure you're sick and tired of hearing about it, but I have the jellyfish lights at my house. Got them on right now as the accent lights. I love them. The guys at Wild Oak Lighting are awesome. The installation process is quick and easy. If you tell them you know the guys that feels like 45 podcast, they'll probably be even nicer to you than they were going to be originally. No, I'm just kidding. They're always very nice. I'm so pumped getting into the holiday season. I'll have them going for Halloween. I'll have them probably even going for Thanksgiving with some Thanksgiving accents going on. And then obviously for Christmas and Oklahoma State game days. So check them out. Like I said, wildoak-lighting.com. I, we're we're going to get them on our new house. We're building out in uh, in a part of Oklahoma City. We're, we're going to do it. I, I love what you've done. And the idea of being able to customize that the way I want to with 16 million colors and patterns is pretty intriguing. Here's a product idea too. I throw it out to the guys at Wild Oak Lighting. I'd love to be able to turn one on one by one for every touchdown scored by the offense, starting with one light, turn the next one on, and I can just keep count. It's like it's like an abacus all season long, and hope that I I reach the uh, I could do a I could do for sacks. You, I could just do whatever I want. So we should pitch that oh, to them and see what they play. think. That there you go, and just see how quickly we get around the entire exterior of the house. No, they're really cool, Dustin. Love the guys over there. They great service. They do a great job and a great product. So how how can you beat that? Hey, I wanted to shout out everybody that we hung out with this week in Arizona. It was a great time. Met some listeners. Our guy Dylan talked to him for a while on the plane there. If you said hey, really appreciate it. It was a great time seeing friends out there. Had a great time at the game. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. We love doing this. We love you guys, that you guys listen and appreciate it. And Dustin, since if you've made it this far, two and a half hours into this podcast, I'm going to just take an informal poll of our listeners. I've heard, you don't even know I'm going to say this. I've heard clamoring for merchandise. And you're going to have to convince me that it's worth mine and Dustin's time. So informal poll, if you'd wear a Feels Like 45 podcast t-shirt, just let us know in the DMs in one of these days. Who knows? But I, I've heard too much about it in the last couple of days to uh, to ignore that as a as a topic of conversation. So, I mean, Dustin, I, will I see you in Stillwater on Saturday? You gonna be at the game? I'll I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be degrees. Oh my god, babyless this time, so we can get a little weird if we need to. <laughs> get a little weird, indeed. We will, Dustin. Appreciate you as always, man. Uh, a fantastic breakdown had a blast a fun game to do it as well if you're not already you can follow us at feels like 45 pod on twitter instagram and threads you can follow dustin at dust ragu and you can follow me at Cade webb we will see you guys back here next week go pokes